his car toppled, building and tired, just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irony Mobile Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my impulsive co-host, Rob Kelly from the Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Shag. I just saw Godzilla. The Giants are leading their division. It's all good right now. <laughs> Everything's coming up roses, That's except right. for poor Tokyo. <laughs> My wife and stepson just came back from that movie tonight. Is it good? Uh, yeah, I liked it. I mean, I, I don't uh, my sh- I don't want to get bogged down right in the beginning with a big review. But I guess the short thing is, I will say is, I think uh, these these giant tentpole movies, you know, that are you know hundreds of millions of dollars and and hanging in the balance. I think they are almost impossible to be good anymore because I think just think there's so much money involved and so many suits, and it takes someone of incredible vision and determination to make something unique and memorable. And I think Gareth Evans, who directed Godzilla, uh, came pretty close. I think, cool. he came, I think he came pretty close. There, there's some stuff about it where, to me, it is very cookie-cutter and generic. And then there's other stuff where I'm like, wow, this is a very distinct point of view here. Uh, and I really like that. So this guy, that guy is hella talented. I'd love to see what he can do with uh, other you know, other movies further on his career. This is only his second film. So he's got a lot Jeez. of Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Awesome. I'm excited to see it. I want to see it. I instead watched, um, what is it, All Nuts or whatever? The, oh, no, The Nut Job with my daughter with my wife. <laughs> okay. Went to go see that. So, um, well, folks, we have got a banner episode for you today. We are going to delve into um, the new series called The New 52, Future's End. There are three issues out so far, and we're going to touch on those. It's a, one of DC's, speaking of tentpole, one of DC's tentpole Productions this summer, and then, or actually, I guess for the next 52 weeks. Then we are going to do another installment of our backup stories, where this time, last time we talked about Firestorm backups, this time we're going to do some Aquaman backups. Yay! And then we are going to get to your, yes, your listener feedback, ladies and gentlemen. But first, we are going to say thanks to our sponsors. Um, folks, 
if you if you haven't heard this before, you should really pay attention more often. But uh, in, in Stock Trades is our sponsor for the Foreign Writer Podcast, and they are your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to forty five percent off, with free shipping for orders of fifty dollars or more. Rob, what you got? Uh, I have a book by uh, it's written and drawn by a guy named Jean Luen Yang. It's called American Born Chinese, and it's a basically a autobiographical story of a guy, who, uh, a Chinese uh, kid who uh, lives in America and sort of is dealing with the, the culture clashes there of being one of the few Asian kids in a pretty much you know primarily all you know white neighborhood. Uh, I read it many years ago, back when I was toiling at Borders, and it's it's really a beautiful story. Just you know, no superheroics or anything like that. It's just a human interest story, but beautifully done. Great story, great art. Um, it's 240 pages, full color. The normal price is 17.95, and Suck Trades has it for $14.36. It's a really great story, you know. It's it's a, a little bit offbeat from things I normally recommend, but uh, it's really worth your time. Just a, a great human interest story. So, am I sensing some of your Margaret Cho commissions uh, influencing this decision? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I don't, I, All right. Back when I was at Borders, when I worked at Borders, I ran the uh, graphic novel section, and we could uh, uh, take stuff home for free. And so oh. I just, I just read every. I mean, not permanently, obviously, but uh, I, uh, I, I grabbed everything that was in there because I thought, well, here's my chance to read as much as I can for nothing. And this, yeah. this is one of the books they had, and I was really impressed by it. It's just a, a captivating human interest story done in comic book form. So it's really good stuff. Very cool. Uh, mine's a little more on the nose. I picked uh, 52, the omnibus hardcover. And really this was driven by the fact that the thing we're covering today, Future's End, is DC's big weekly series for the year. And 52 was DC's big weekly series in 2005 that sort of kicked off a whole series of these things from 52 to... Oh, geez, what were the countdown and all the other stuff? So, anyway, this this collects every single issue of 52. Bet you can't guess how many issues there were in the series. Uh-huh. And it, uh-huh. you, know, you got Jeff Johns, you got Keith Giffen, you got Grant Morrison, uh, you got J.G. Jones on artwork, you got a bunch of other folks involved. Um, really, it's, it's an interesting story because it was about a year in the DC universe, a year without Superman, Batman, or Wonder Woman. If you haven't read it, it really is a wonderful story because it's, it's essentially – Anthology isn't the right word because all their stories sort of weave together a little bit here and there. But it's about several different characters. It, it, you know, you, for a while you follow a Longed Man, for a while you follow Booster Gold, then you follow Batwoman, you follow Lex Luthor, Animal Man, Starfire, Adam Strange, Black Adam, Will Magnus. I mean, a lot of really unexpected second, third tier characters. Wonderful series. Uh, page count is 1,216 pages. Well, it's an omnibus. 1,216 pages normally goes for 150 bucks. You can get our in-stock trades right now for 42% off at $87. Now, that seems like a large commitment, but I promise you it's 1,200 pages of good stuff. You won't regret it. You will die before you finish reading this Oh, whatever. We all read it. We got through it. <laughs> anyway, so folks, uh, our thanks again to InStock Trades, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collector editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. In fact, you get that omnibus, you got free shipping on it right there. <laughs> so, I'm just saying. All right. The New 52 Futures End. This is a big deal for DC. They have launched... Three. Do you know this? They're doing three weekly series this year. They've got this one. They've got Batman Eternal, because, you know, we need another Batman book. <laughs> and they've got, geez, I don't even know if I'm going to get this name right. 
I want to say the name is Earth 2 World's End, which is uh, another big series. I want to say it's weekly. Maybe I'm wrong. Someone correct me. Whatever. Which follows Earth 2. Anyway, so this one, uh, the way it was promoted and where we're going to end up, I guess, is a little bit different. You can learn more, too, by the way. Go back a couple episodes and listen to our interview with Dan Jurgens. He's one of the writers on this book, and he talks about the, the creative process behind this book and how what it appears in the beginning is not where the series is going to end up, which is a lot like 52. In fact, as I read this, I don't know if you get the same vibe, Rob, I really get a 52 vibe off this series because it's not about your tentpole characters. It's about, you know... The ones they advertise as lead characters is Batman Beyond, Firestorm, Frankenstein, and Grifter, and I'm forgetting someone else, too. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head. But what a crazy, eclectic group of of people to feature as your your series leads. So, Issue Zero came out on Free Comic Book Day. You get it for free. You know what? How much is a free comic book worth? Worth a lot more than free. Because you get entertainment out of it. And I guess what I'm going to do is I'm going to run through this. I'm going to give you sort of a high-level recap of the story, not going into a lot of detail except for the Firestorm bits. And we're not going to do this on a regular basis. We will just hit the highlights of the Firestorm stuff in this series probably going forward. But I felt like, you know, with the launch of Features End, it's kind of important. I feel like we should talk about it. So first issue, really if I had to sum it up in two titles, I would just say it's Days of Futures Past meets Terminator. It's kind of really what this issue zero is. It takes place 35 years in the future. It's a very dystopian future. Um, it's sort of a what-if tale where all of your favorite heroes have been turned into horrible organic machine monsters and are out <laughs> to kill the last few pure humans. Um, very sad, depressing sort of story, especially when you see like Superman shooting laser beams out of his mouth and shoulder and murdering <laughs> people that you care about there there's no happiness or joy that comes from this thing um there is a firestorm reference in it uh it, w- what's going on is brother i you get, everyone remember brother i from a while back with the omax yeah, OMAC, uh, yeah. infinite crisis it's been just about 10 years now by the way since all that was with the brother i and omax stuff so you've got brother i and omax uh, have taken over or trying to take over the earth with all these machine organic monsters they're trying to take over the earth to i guess control it and you've got a small collection of people. You've got Captain Cold, The Flash, John Stewart, um, Grifter, Amethyst, a few people that are, have, have held out and are still human or fighting against the system. And you find out Batman and Batman Beyond are also still fighting against the system. So uh, where I was going with the Firestorm references, apparently Firestorm is trapped like up in a pedestal and being used as a battery to power the Brother Eye satellite and a lot of the stuff that's going on. So it's kind of, kind of a clever idea using Firestorm as a battery. You know. So in the end of it, all of the characters you care about are slaughtered, and in the <laughs> and Batman has a plan to go back in time and stop this from ever occurring. Well, he gets killed, and so it's up to Batman Beyond to go back in time and fix this. He jumps back in time. You think he's going to end up current day, but no, he ends up in the wrong time period. He's actually five years in our future, and he is in the wrong time by something like seven years. And he's like, oh, no, how do I fix this? with Brother I already in existence. How do I stop this from happening? That's where Issue Zero leads off. As um, as a teaser, to get you to want to read more, I don't know that it works in that way. It certainly leaves you with a lot of questions, but what you see in this comic is not what you're going to see in the other comics, because, again, this is a very, almost a horror story, really. So, I don't know. Um, it, was nice to, it was nice that it's free. That's wonderful. And, you know... I'm excited about seeing Batman Beyond in the DC Universe. 
Is this so, has that been done before? Is that or is um, the first time that he's he, actually incorporated outside of the DC sort of animated book? First time he's incorporated. Oh wow! Now he's probably shown up in something in like a, you know, one of those Jeff Loeb Batman Superman titles that had nothing to do with continuity, almost Bob Haney style mm. uh, series that he did. Could have shown up in there. But as far as being officially recognized as part of the DC continuity, this is the beginning. So, um, so then we get to issues one and two, which we'll, we'll talk about. But just so you know, these series, again, take place five years in the future from now. So really the thrust of the series is almost like a nice little what if. Like, what's going to happen? To, what's everyone's lives going to be like five years from now? What's going to be going on with Firestorm, with Ronnie Raymond and Jason Rush? I mean, they were in high school right now. What are they going to be like after they've gotten out of high school and are in their, in their college years, or at least college-aged, whether Ronnie made it to college or not, we're not sure yet. So it kind of gives you an interesting spin there. The story starts off following Batman Beyond. He's, you know, again in modern day, or five years in the future, trying to figure out what to do. He fights an OMAC that came back with him. Uh, you get to see a, a whole several pages with Stormwatch, which made no sense to me whatsoever, other than <laughs> Hawkman. Hawkman died. Um, Grifter... And I'm going very quickly. Grifter assassinates an entire family because he's just trying to kill one creature that's there. I don't know whether it's an alien or a creature or a, a superhuman, whatever. But he kills, he murders this child because he's there to do that. That's his job is to kill these things. I'm assuming aliens. Um, let's see what else. Uh, Jason, Jason Rush. This is where the Firestorm stuff comes in. He comes running. He's in New York City. He comes running into this cool hip salon, uh, or not salon, but a clothing store for young women. Comes running in looking for Ronnie Raymond. He runs upstairs to, and interrupts Ronnie scromping with his girlfriend Emily. What? What? You never heard scromping? No, I've never. Heard. You know what? Everyone at home, even if they never heard it, they know what it means now. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess so. I, the, yeah, in the proper context, I guess. Yeah, but wow. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Jason basically says, "We've got to go." Green Arrow called us forty-five minutes ago and says he's got an emergency. And, you know, we got to go. And Ronnie's like, I don't care. He can, we can be late. He's a superhero. He can take care of it himself. So basically, Ronnie's being selfish. Didn't want to answer the superhero call because I, I don't know if he'd been scromping for 45 minutes or not, but he had other things on his mind. So Jason forces the Firestorm merger, and they take off flying for Seattle. Ronnie's pissed off, but he is at least engaging in the superhero activities now. And they're having an argument on the way about um, Ronnie, you know, whether Ronnie, they should continue to be Firestorm or not. Ronnie doesn't really care about it. He feels like he's paid his dues. Jason says we should have been there to help him. And you get a little bit of interesting history here. Uh, Jason mentions that Oliver brought us into the league after the war. It sort of makes you go, what is all that? Mm -hmm. I have heard that apparently, and, and as you read these comics, apparently at some point in the next five years, Apocalypse is going to, like, storm its way across a parallel world and those parallel world people from this alternate earth are going to come to the primary earth our earth as refugees and so our earth takes on another earth's population as refugees and it, and there's a war and I don't know whether it's a war between the two different types of populations or whether it's a war between apocalypse and our earth or what but you, you find out there's a, you know there are hints of this so this is after a big war, and I guess um, Green Arrow brought Firestorm into the League at that point. So I'm guessing he doesn't really join the League after Forever Evil, which sucks. Mm, but yeah. um, so, you know, they keep reinforcing, hitting you over the head that Ronnie's being selfish. So they go there, they get to Seattle. You know, I do wonder, though, I mean, it, they're 45 minutes late. How long does it take Firestorm to fly from New York to Seattle anyway? It takes me, like, a whole day. 
to get over there. I don't know how long it takes him. So um, he gets there. It appears to be fairly quickly. He's helping people, saving people, and Jason's kind of like, oh, now you want to be the hero. So they get there, and they find Green Arrow is dead. He died. He was not able to hold out. There were some explosions. And the premise of what you're supposed to feel here is if Ronnie had gotten his crap together and had gone out there and met you know, Green Arrow to help, Green Arrow wouldn't have died. So there's a lot of weight on Firestorm's back right now. Then you get into, they give you like a two-page teaser spread every issue, which is kind of cool. They've got this whole motif going on of like circuitry as sort of like the, the trade dress, which is interesting. So then we go on to issue number two. Uh, again, very high level. Uh, I got kind of deep in the weeds that time. I, won't, I probably won't as much this time. There's a funeral for Green Arrow. Um, Firestorm is there. He is one of the pallbearers because him and Green Arrow are apparently very close. Um, Animal Man gives an incredibly moving speech about um, about Green Arrow, talking about what a great man he was, and how Animal Man and Green Arrow had become best of friends, I guess, during their time. Uh, we're supposed to assume this occurred during their time on Justice League United, which is that new series by Jeff Lemire. And then, let's see, Aquaman has an argument with Mr. Terrific, who, I he feels like a pop star rapper to me, like... He's got a real attitude. He's got sort of a, uh, a dialect. He's, he's really a cocky, arrogant jerk. And the point of what Mr. Terrific is trying to prove is that basically he's saving people and helping people, and he's doing it without being part of the Justice League. He's trying to point out that he did it on his own. He didn't need the League's help and that he's making the rest of the heroes look good because he's getting stuff done. He's a real arrogant ass. And, you know, Aquaman, what do you think Aquaman's new costume? I oh, will get to it in a minute. Aquaman has a new costume in there. So, um, all right. So Firestorm, unfortunately, um, there's a, there's a fist fight between Firestorm and Arsenal, which is of course, Roy Harper, which is the former, uh, speedy, you know, green arrow sidekick. And they get into a fist fight. Basically Arsenal is pissed off because he knows Firestorm could have responded sooner. He knows Firestorm did not respond to help green arrow as a, in a timely manner. He says, where were you? You know, you didn't respond for an hour. Ronnie straight up lies. Meanwhile, Jason's in his head screaming at him going, stop lying. Tell the truth. Separate the Firestorm entity. Let me out so I can talk to him. And Ronnie just keeps making it worse. Ronnie just keeps digging a hole and lying more. So they have a fist fight. Arsenal takes a, gets a punch on him. Firestorm punches Arsenal. Hits him pretty darn hard, actually. Knocks him on his ass. And then the, I guess the guy that's being called the masked Superman, basically, intercedes, makes Firestorm stop. Jason's feeling like a prisoner stuck in Firestorm because Ronnie won't separate. Ronnie says, there's no way I'm separating because I'm not going to let you throw me under the bus. And they fly off. So that's, that's, it's a pretty dire situation for the Firestorm Matrix right now. There's other stuff we see, too. We see King Faraday doing something subterfuge We see some guy in a bar who's not happy with superheroes. We don't know who he is. He might be Clark Kent. I don't know. He's got black hair. Looks kind of Clarkish to me. And then Lois Lane gets something at the end. Uh, she gets a mysterious package with all kinds of like secrets and stuff to look at. So there you go. That's, uh, that's that. Those are those issues. Okay, so writers, Brian Azzarello, Jeff Lemire, Dan Jurgens, Keith Giffen, uh, pencilers, you know, you've got Jesus Marino, you've got uh, Patrick Zercher, you've got, um, I, want to say, I thought Ethan Van Skyver did number zero. Oh, Ethan Van Skyver, uh, Aaron Lepresti, uh, some Dan Jurgens, so you've got lots of different folks there. Hi-Fi's doing the colors, which is great. Your covers are by Ryan Sook. And uh, there you go. Woof! That's a lot of talking. Yeah. I'm going to take a, uh, a breath. Tell me what you think, Rob. Um, 
Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, um, hmm. Uh, <laughs> okay, so I'll talk for a minute. Yeah, um. I, uh, I, you know, okay, let me, let me start with this. Uh, like, I, I was really not familiar with Grifter. I know who he was, but I, I don't think I ever read a single comic with him in it. So I guess, is he like somebody who goes around and kills people? Is that his thing, I guess? I mean, he wears that. Uh, well, the, the Wildcats, like, were always hunting down, like, demonites, I think okay. I'd say. Right. And there are the, like, other dimensional alien invader kind of people. That's why I kind of felt like he was hunting down an alien. All right. I mean, because that... murdered a whole family to get to it. That though. scene really put me out. Really. It really uh, bothered me. Because it, it was just a lot of gun violence. And and him shooting regular people, it just it the, the, that level of violence really really did not sit well with me, and yeah. uh, I don't like seeing it in comics. We've gone over this a thousand times because we're always up to episode eighty nine. I think I've mentioned it on like fifty of the eighty nine episodes. Uh, so that really, you know, like I mean, a story that's set five years in the future is meant to be kind of just. I don't want to say goofy fun because it's not necessarily true, but it's like it's got a kind of comic booky lightheartedness to it because you're like, wow, everything's all jumbled. Everybody's this is the future. Everybody's got different uniforms, and it just ha- like having that scene in the first issue. I was like, whoa, 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 you know, and it really just sort of put me off. Um, I felt the same yeah. way with issue zero with all the organic machine. People and their their horrible graphic murderers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, it, do you, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. If you wanted to keep going, yeah, no, I don't want to go. Uh, you know, beat that dead horse okay. too much. It's just I, I I don't mind that kind of violence as much because that can't happen in real life. I'm not worried about cyborg people uh, coming see. over. The, but when the gun issues something okay. when it's when it's violence that can be replicated in real life. It bothers me. It bothered me in Iron Man 3 when Iron Man 3 turned into Lethal Weapon near the end of the movie where it's just Tony Stark and Rhodey running around shooting people. And I'm like, what? Are you, huh? Like, you know, I'm like, I don't, I, don't, I don't mind people get hit by repulsor rays because I'm not worried about that. But it just, it's just a thing for me. That's all. You know, it's just it's just yeah. a personal thing for me that just it, – it, 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 it kind of reminded me a little bit, I hate to say this, of Identity Crisis where, mm. you know, like I went into it with this – you know, I was like, "Oh, it's going to be like a mystery," and then this horrible act of violence takes place right in the beginning, and I was like, "Whoa!" And it just shifted. Now it wasn't that bad here. Um, you know what? It is part of it. Is the, I, I'm also it also weirds me out seeing the non DC characters interacting with the DC universe, like, yeah, uh, like uh, Grifter, Grifter and uh, the 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 authority and i mean i don't yeah. know what the big deal is because it's like you know the quality heroes and all those guys they did charlton heroes that's all these guys mixing back and forth but it was just it was just weird to me. i didn't even know that like midnighter and all those guys were part of the dc universe i knew dc owned them but i didn't even know that they were sort of incorporated so i was like really yeah i didn't think i knew there's that. like new 52 titles and everything with a minute i guess so but i just didn't know that they were <laughs> yeah i guess maybe. i didn't really think about it you know what i mean i was just like oh, okay yeah i guess so so I'm going to sound a little bipolar as I discuss this because I'm going to talk about some great stuff and then some stuff that I wasn't thrilled about. So forgive me as I go through here. I don't think anyone's going to really figure out, I guess, when they're done, they're going to go, which way was I going here? Um, Some cool things, like you talk about the fun aspect. I do love there's this great two-page spread. I mean, sadly, it's a Green Arrow's funeral, but you get to see a bunch of characters. Yeah. And and, and like you said, you get to see all the fun costumes. Now, for starters – 
Uh, artist Ryan Sook designed a lot of the five-year-later looks for characters like Aquaman and Firestorm, both. Firestorm's look, I absolutely love. I think Firestorm looks totally awesome. And if when this is done, if this is how Firestorm looks from now on, I'd be okay with it. Very I mean, sweet. Despite, he lo- exactly. He looks very sleek. I love Firestorm's costume. Don't get me wrong. I love the, the red and yellow. But this looks really cool. Now, I would like to see a little bit of um, uh, Yildare Sinar's, you know, flaming wrists and flaming ankles. I think, you know, I think that would be good. But beyond that, this is an awesome-looking Firestorm. I think Aquaman looks pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a different one. I mean, what did you think of the Aquaman look? No, I liked it, too. I mean, they're... Um any time any story is set in the future, and whether it be a movie, a TV, a comic book, everyone tends to start wearing kind of like sleek onesies. I think <laughs> it just tends to give a slightly futuristic, if not sort of dystopian kind of look that everybody – and so uh, Firestorm and Aquaman's suit are kind of similar in that, that they are just sort of basically one piece. Hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, they're nice looking. I'm not, I'm not knocking it, but I mean, that I think Sook for doing the costume designs has got a little bit of. I mean, Mr. Terrific's suit is just basically one piece. He's just wearing yeah. all black with just that T on it and stuff. So, um, I mean, it, some of them look a little different, but I mean, there is a, a little bit of a similarity to some of them, and I, I just think that's on purpose because it's like we're in a you know extra harsher world here, and everybody's looking maybe a little more militaristic or you know than they normally would. So yeah, but Ryan Sook is a superb artist. I mean, he did the Commandy feature in Wednesday Comics. Oh God, that was beautiful. I mean, he's just a, was it really? Oh okay. God, it was great. It was written by Dave Gibbons. Superb artist, Ryan Sook. Well, there's some fun stuff. I mean, a lot of the characters look identical. Wonder Woman looks exactly like she normally does. You know, um, Animal Man looks the same. Um, Blue Devil actually makes an appearance. Uh, he un- looks the same as he does in the New Fifty Two. Unfortunately, um, you get, I guess. I don't know who this is. Um, is that Steve Trevor? Or is that supposed to be Guy Gardner Warrior? I don't know which. Either way. Uh, you know, Vibe is there. You get a, this, a masked Superman, which is kind of interesting. That's apparently going to be an ongoing storyline. You get some guy. I don't know who this dude is. Um, maybe he's Icon or something? A black guy who's in like a black sort of commando suit with golden bracers and a golden belt and an American flag for a cape. Maybe I maybe everyone's I have no going. Idea, yeah. Maybe everyone's going Durshag. That's so and so. I don't know who it is. I think it looks great. Then there's this giant lion-like creature. Who I'm sorry if I'm supposed to know who that is. Maybe he was part of that. Um, what was that series that was a spinoff of Teen Titans? Oh well, maybe he's one of those characters. I don't know, but he looks like a wildebeest to me. So, anyways, it's fun to see all those characters, like you said. And then uh, it it is it's in here basically. It says that Aquaman is the leader of the Justice yes, League. Yes. So wow, look at that. So um, you know, there's some thoughts. Is that going to be played out? In the, is he actually going to become leader of Justice League at some I, point? I think that's what the rumor is after that uh, that big storyline that they're talking about the the reign the, of uh, whatever the name see. of it is. <laughs> the uh, Rise of the Seven Seas. Rise of the Seven Seas, whatever. Yeah, yeah that supposedly that is what's going to happen there, is that he will yeah. take over. Which That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so, the, the big thing in the room for me is Ronnie and Jason not getting along, Ronnie being a complete jerk, things like that. I'm really struggling with that. Um, but here, here's where I'm going to argue with myself. Like, I don't like seeing Ronnie this way. I don't like him seeing him as a selfish jerk. I think Ronnie's better than that. 
I think we've seen this story enough times. I, I think Ronnie, it's, it's almost like, you know, Jerry Conway wrote a very likable teenager. Ronnie to me is, is the way Jerry wrote it. A very likable young man who unfortunately has very bad luck and with the right intentions make bad, makes bad decisions. That's sort of Ronnie in a nutshell. He's, he tries, but it never works out his way. Sort of like Spider-Man. Spider, you know, Peter Parker has horrible luck. Same thing with Ronnie Raymond. And everyone since then seems to write Ronnie just as a selfish jock jerk. And that's what you get here. Now, I do realize, and this is where I say I'm going to argue with myself, I do realize this is a story. This is the third part of a 50, 52 or 53 issue story arc. I realize where Ronnie starts here is not where Ronnie's going to end. So, as much as I'm really not happy with the way Ronnie is, I do accept the fact that they're telling a story and there's a journey to be had by the character. So he's going to start in this place, and he's either going to go one or two directions. He's going to get better or he's going to get worse. I don't know which. Uh, at the end of this issue, he, he, he's kind of holding Jason prisoner, which is pretty horrible. I hope he doesn't turn into a villain. That would be really disturbing. I hope he turns it around and realizes his selfishness causes these problems and becomes a positive force. But... I just wish we didn't have to see it, I guess, because I want Ronnie to be more of a positive leader. So, um, No Frankenstein, which is kind of weird, given that they said the story was going to follow Firestorm, um, Batman Beyond, Frankenstein, and I think it was Grifter. So I, it's kind of weird we haven't even seen Other than issue zero, we haven't seen him yet. Now, you sort of said this reminded you of Identity Crisis. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, not because specifically Identity Crisis, but that era of publishing for DC Comics. This really reminds me of 2005 all over again. As you look here, Brother I, you know, taking over the world with Omax. Well, that was infinite, right before Infinite Crisis. Right. You know, we saw that. Right. Um, when the, the Stormwatch was slipping through dimensions or whatever, they were talking about the bleed. Between and they're traveling between dimensions. Maybe that's been in the New 52 somewhere, but the last time I remember reading about that was around 2005 when they were doing those stories with the with Countdown and all that, The Bleed. Um, you know, five years later, sounds an awful lot like one year later. Remember that mm-hmm. big thing they did? Mm-hmm. So it almost feels like it's like are they just trying to redo what they did, ten, you know, in this book being weekly, it's almost like 52. Are they just trying to redo what they did 10 years ago? It's kind of what it feels like. So, all right, so like I said, I'm all over the board here. I have positive feelings. I have some concerns. All in all, I'm reading it. I'm finding things to enjoy about it. I love seeing Animal Man as a leader. It looks like he's a leader of the Justice League to some extent. Not, maybe not the one Aquaman's on. Maybe it's Justice League Canada or Justice League United he's the leader of. But I'm happy to see him. And um, I'm going to stick with it, you know? So looking, looking forward to see where it goes. And I, and I hope Firestorm's journey becomes a very positive one. This will be a lot of Firestorm if he's in every issue. That's a, lot, that's a lot of Firestorm. I hope so. I don't think he'll be. I think this is more set up. Like I said, I think there's going to be a lot of other characters we're going to see soon. Well, so. but even if he's in like two, three pages an issue, that's two, three pages times 52 issues. Yeah. That's a lot of Firestorm. Hey, doesn't, doesn't Arsenal have a mechanical arm? You're asking the wrong person. I'm sorry. I just Because, you know, there's Red Hood and the Outlaws, and in there's Arsenal. I think he has like a... Mechanic, cybernetic arm, but this arsenal doesn't. Hmm. Anyway, sorry. Totally aside there. I got distracted. Something shiny caught my attention. All right. That is the new 52 Future's End. Folks, we will keep you posted on Firestorm's activities in that book going forward. Mr. Kelly, 
We have, um, actually, before I turn it over to you, folks, this is our second installment in our new backup feature where we're going to cover a couple issues of backup stories of some of our favorite characters. And it may not be limited to Aquaman and Firestorm. We may want to read some other backups. I don't know, at some point. But we are asking for some assistance from you guys in naming what this segment's going to be called. What should we call our backup feature segment? We've gotten quite a few suggestions, and when we get to listener feedback, we'll go through that. But we are going to offer... A prize for the winner, for the person who picks the, the, the best title for our backup feature, assuming you live in the continental United States uh, and want it, we have a fantastic shirt donated to us by none other than Little Russell Burbage from Baxter Beach, Florida. It is a Justice League of America t-shirt. Um, it is a reprint of the cover of 217. Now, at that point, you should hear Rob sort of gasp because he knows how good this cover is. George Perez. Yes, it is George Perez. It is, it's the whole Satellite Era Justice League coming at you. Superman, Hawkman, Elongated Man, Aquaman, Green Arrow, Black Canary, uh, Zatanna, Wonder Woman, Firestorm, Adam, Red Tornado. It comes in this really, really cool metal tin that's even got the same cover emblazoned on it. And um, the, the shirt size is large. If you're not a large, you know, you don't want it, you don't have to take it, or you can give it to a friend or give it to your cousin or whatever. Um, but we would like to award this shirt as a thank you to whoever comes up with the name of our back issue feature. And again, our thanks to Little Russell Burbage from Baxter Beach, Florida, for donating the shirt to the cause. Thank you. Very cool. Awesome. So, Rob, why don't you tell us a little bit about what we're going to look at today? Uh, yes. Uh, so we covered Firestar in the back of Flash last week, and we are now we're going to talk about Aquaman in the back of Action Comics. Woo! Uh, you know, bringing up the rear for Superman here. Um, now, just very brief little history before this. Aquaman had a well coming into this series. This was a it was coming after a four issue run in Adventure Comics. Now, Aquaman had been in Adventure Comics like sixteen different times in <laughs> fifteen years. Aquaman was like an old girlfriend that keeps taking you back after you venture out and you try and find somebody new and it doesn't work out. She takes you back because Aquaman kept. <laughs> Aquaman kept going back, trying to get his own series, and then it would get canceled, and he would come coming back to Adventure Comics. This run that, in particular, that I'm talking about was uh, numbers 475 through 478, very brief, written by J.M. Demetrius, uh, and drawn by Dick Giordano. Can't beat that. And they are... Uh, DC made a big deal about it because at the time, uh, the cover, the first cover uh, featuring Aquaman was drawn by Brian Bolland. Yes. And it's a great cover of Aquaman smashing through the cover that he's already on. It was like one of those like you know um, like double blind reality covers thing where he's smashing through his own thing. And uh, it was a really really good series. It is some of my favorite Aquaman comics actually, even though the run by Demetrius and Giordano only lasted four issues because right after that they uh, moved Aquaman over to to action and they got rid of the Starman and Plastic Man features and gave the book over to Dial H for Hero. Oh, Aquaman eventually did come back to Adventure Comics. Of course he did. So uh, this was just <laughs> another... He, bro- he, broke, he broke up with Action Comics after a drunken fight. He did. And he, he needed did. somebody to take him back. I love you. I've always loved you. Uh, so they moved him over to Action Comics as of number 517, which is covered in March 1981. Um, and the story continues. It is still by J.M. Demetrius, except the art has changed. Instead of Dick Giordano, we're now getting Don Heck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh heck. Yeah. Oh heck. So I hate to, you know, he's supposedly a very nice guy and certainly very talented. It just, just, you know, 
He's not a good follower for Dick Giordano. Dick Giordano did such a great job. Um, fun note here with the fact that Aquaman had a run in action comics, I think makes him. I could be wrong about this. I think he is like literally the only DC hero that has had a solo strip in every major DC omnibus title because he had a run in Detective, he had many runs in Adventure, he had a run in Action. And he had a run in World's Finest. I, I don't know if there's any. I think maybe Green Arrow also had a I was run. I just about to say, Green Arrow was obviously an adventure. I want to say he was in World's Finest. He was, and he was a detective. I, I think so, he also I had a run. I think he had a run in action in the 70s. But, but anyway, it's very few. Very few characters have been in every single one of these books. So anyway. He, yeah, because Aquaman needs more accolades. Yeah, exactly. So he, he anyway, um, the story, uh, number 478 in Adventure ended with Aquaman going after Black Manta. And his pal, Cal Durham, which is this guy who's had uh, – he's been futzed with, with his uh, physiognomy so he can only breathe underwater and stuff, tries to warn Aquaman that that's not the real Black Manta. But, of course, Aquaman doesn't listen because he never does. And number 478 ends with Black Manta exploding, which is cool, and ends with him exploding. And then we cut over to action number 517, and we pick up right where, right where it left off with Aquaman and Cal examining this giant hunk of – uh, metal, which is Black Manta. So Cal was right. It's not the real Black Manta. It's in fact a robot duplicate. Dun, 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 dun. And uh, <laughs> Aquaman here is super, super testy because Cal is like, I tried to tell you, and Aquaman's like, I don't want to hear about it, or I didn't want to hear about it. I'm sorry, I'm such a hothead. Uh, meanwhile, he's got this other thing going on with Mira, who we learn uh, is basically popping back and forth between. Uh, Earth and her home dimension, because the way her body is made up, um, she cannot stand like the strain of living, of being a creature from another dimension and living in our Earth. So she is slowly, her body sort of being ripped apart by all of these weird dimensional things, and she's going to eventually get zapped back to her home uh, dimension. No, no she's going to cease to exist. Well, okay, maybe, but um, you know, I okay, so. <laughs> So Aquaman and Mirror are talking about that while they're going investigating this whole thing, and they find out that the um, it is a company was behind this. Uh, hold on one second, I'm all lost. <laughs> this is a very Don Heck art. Yeah, this is very Don Heck art. So they go to they go to New York to uh, you know what? I'm completely forgetting why this happened. I just well, read it, these earlier sort today of too. It's sort of ridiculous because you don't feel bad. You're not lost for no reason. I mean, what happens is. They they find out that something to do with Black Mana's attack, like his henchmen all came from one company. But it's a real stretch. They leave the bottom of the ocean to go to this That's company right. in New That's York. Right. <laughs> and honestly, they join the official Star Wars fan club ads. A lot more interesting at this point than why they went to New York. So let's just keep going. So they, they go to New York, and there's a great little segment where uh, they need some regular clothes. And these two bums, these two, not bums, these two crooks try to... Uh, mug Aquaman and Mira, and then next panel we see them laying in an alleyway with little stars and cuckoos around their head. Aquaman and Mira <laughs> taking, their, taking their stuff. They go up to this building and uh, Aquaman's like, I am here. And the, the secretary's like, the president, he doesn't see anybody. Who are you? And he goes, Aquaman. <laughs> it's just like a very awkward thing. Anyway, they go into the president's office and sitting in the swivel chair is Ocean Master in full uniform with the mask and everything. He's just sitting there. Um... <laughs> Ocean Master attacks him. They have a long fight on the roof of the building. Aquaman is weak from the fact that he's been out of water for over an hour, which, you know, 
kind of stupid of Aquaman to do that. They fight. Aquaman says, uh, Ocean Master says, I failed to kill you and I failed our mother. Ocean Master decides to commit suicide by jumping off the roof. And that is the end of this issue of Aquaman and Mira looking over the roof and seeing no sign of Ocean Master, his body or anything. So what happened there? I don't understand. <gasps> and so the next story is Beyond the Poseidon Adventure. And this is a little note I should mention. The title of this story is Brother Rat. And I, it took me 24 years to notice this. But I just <laughs> went back and saw that every single one of J.M. Demetrius' stories is named after a movie. Really? Yes. Every one of these Aquaman stories is named after a movie because Brother Rat is a movie from 1935. And, of course, Beyond the Beside Adventure is Beyond the Beside Adventure. But I went back and looked at all the story titles, and they're all movies. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I have no idea why. I think it may have just been Jam having, having a laugh, but they're all movie titles. So this is a nice little Easter egg. He said it only took me a quarter of a century to, to learn that. So uh, number in number 518... Um, Aquaman is talking to the police. The police are like, what's going on here? And uh, Aquaman says, well, they discover a secret panel in this room, and they see there's another robot duplicate, this time of the Scavenger, another Aquaman villain. Now, previously, Scavenger had attacked Aquaman in Adventure Number 476. We then cut down to uh, Undersea. Ocean Master is talking to uh, his mother. Uh, what's what's her name? Atlant- Atlant- Atlanta. Forget it. Yeah, Atlanta. And uh, we meet Poseidon, Lord of the Oceans, who was supposedly the, the, the real Poseidon, who we saw again in a previous issue of Adventure Comics, the jam did. We then go back to the police station. Aquaman and Mira and Cal are talking. And um, <laughs> it gets very confusing here because, we, you know, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm really tired of describing this. I'm sorry. Aquaman. <laughs> so they're in, un- in an underwater police station. Underwater police station. Poseidon shows up. He attacks Aquaman. They fight. Of course they do. And it ends with um, Aquaman and Pos- Poseidon. Atta- oh, God. I'm so exhausted. Why did we choose to do this? Um, <laughs> this is such a bad idea. Uh, Poseidon attacks Aquaman with a bunch of fish. Um, Cal mentions to Poseidon, how can you do this? He's a good man. You shouldn't. Kill, you should show some mercy. Uh, for some reason, this knocks Poseidon out of the little uh, zone that he was in, and he realizes you're right. This is the wrong thing to do. He calls the fish away, and he says, "I can't kill this man because he is my son." Dun, 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 dun. Next issue, family plot, which is a Alfred Hitchcock movie. So oh, perfect. Yeah. So that is the horribly abbreviated stories from Adventure Comics five seventeen and five eighteen. Um, even though these were all written by Jam Demetrius, um, there's something about the way this story takes like a hard turn when it moves over to adventure comics that, to me, I have a hard time reconciling these are all kind of written by the same guy. Uh, because I love the first four issues he did in adventure comics. They are really classic stories. And then once we start bringing in all the robot duplicates or something, it just... I don't know. It like the story like breaks the goofy meter. Uh, it's it, very strange to me. And this is they're all written by JM and he clearly plotted all this out, but it just feels weird to me. And I don't think it's all just because Dick Giordano did the first four. I, I don't think that's, that's just what it is. Well, it, that may have played more than you think because Dick was involved in the original Aquaman run, right? The one in adventure. Well, wasn't he involved in Aquaman's own series though for a while there? But he was the editor. 
Okay, yeah. And so it's quite possible that maybe they did it Marvel style, you know, and so Dick was sort of providing a lot of energy for the book, and, and so J.M. would come in later and script it, because he does a lot of work that way. And, uh, you know, maybe that maybe so, maybe Dick did play it, because you're right, there is a very distinct difference. I mean, I remember uh, back in the 80s and 90s, and I was, I was a really, that's when I was like a diehard Aquaman fan, and I would seek out stuff, I'd go on back hunting, been, you know, shopping, and I would love, I, every time I found one of the Adventure Comics issues, I was so excited, and I remember those four being particularly good, Yep. and I was like, wow, and I remember getting my hands on the Action Comics ones and going, what the hell, Yeah. you know, literally just, it, they turned me off, because there is such a huge difference, so, I gotta imagine, it's, it's not just, oh, I'm on a different title, I gotta think Dick played a role, I mean, I'm making assumptions here, but I'm just thinking. I bet Dick played a role in keeping those first four really, really solid. And here, without you know, without that rudder, you know, he's using Don Heck, and just he probably felt a little listless. And I guess I mean, Jan DeMatteis is a great writer, you know, and it's like I love his stuff. I always have, and I'm not just saying that because you know he's been nice to me personally, and he has a story in my book and stuff. I mean, I you know was a fan back in these days. I bought these comics off the shelf. Back in 1980, and I thought they were awesome then. I think they're awesome now. There's just, I don't know. Uh, there, it just, there's just something about maybe it's the way Don Heck stages things. I don't know. Maybe, maybe this part. Because I agree, J- JM is a fantastic writer. He's written some of my favorite stuff: the old Justice Leagues he did with Keith Giffen, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm, the, doc, mm-hmm. the Doctor Fates he did, some Spider-Man stuff. I mean, I really enjoy a lot of his work. So I don't know. Either way, we're not going to solve it here. No, I guess right. but there's certain things to talk about, though. I. Um, uh, did you notice they mentioned Zebel by name? Yes. Because when you and I talked a long time ago, um, we thought that Brightest Day was the first time Zebel ever got called by name. Did I say that? Uh, you did. Well, and, uh, I don't know why I would so, say that. I know that's not true. I don't know why I would have said that. Okay. So at least that's my recollection. I could be wrong. You know, It does happen from time to time. So it, so I just found that interesting, the name Zebel by name here. And, of course, it's obviously played a role in the, in the modern-day Aquaman comic. And, and I'm glad you said Aquaman was, un, was testy in the beginning here because, man, he was a straight-up jerk. He was a jerk to Cal. He's a jerk to Volko. He, he grabs <laughs> yeah. Volko by the shirt. Yeah. You know, what kind of idiocy is this? Have your burdens as Atlantis' king addled your medical sensibilities? Yeah. In, the, in the late, very late 70s, early 80s, Aquaman is just no fun to be around at all. He really was an unpleasant. Now, this is uh, – this is after Aquababy's been killed, is that right? Yes, yes. They don't ever touch on that, but I guess you could sort of retcon that that's why he's so angry. I don't know. Or maybe they were just trying to make him into DC's uh, Namor, I'm not sure. But I love, by the way, when he goes to that corporation, uh, the, the, the Kingdom of Hope, did, did you notice the lady goes, you know, no one sees the so- CEO, Mr. Masters. <laughs> Never sees anyone. Yeah. Mr. Masters. And then when they go down there, so I guess what she did was she buzzed him. She's like, Bzzz. you know, Mr. Masters, you know, you've got Aquaman here to see you. So that gave Orm time to change into his costume. So he was ready for Aquaman. I think that's how it probably worked because he's probably in like a suit and tie. So he changed into his costume. That's a good point. I never thought about that. <laughs> but it just cracked me up. And then they're up on the su- on top of the roof fighting. And like you said, it's the sun. He's like, the sun will dry you out, you know. And uh, there would have been a good analogy for, like, day-old fish jokes or something. But anyway, um, did you notice in the coloring in the segment on the roof? Obviously, this fight took place during the Crisis on Infinite Earths yeah, year. Red skies. Giant red ball. <laughs> and the skies are red. I was, all I could think was, Crisis, look out! <laughs> and uh, then moving forward to the next issue, the thing with Poseidon is completely nutty. But there's some bits that I think are hilarious, like, 
Poseidon, like they have this underwater police. I guess this is probably New Venice. Yeah, this is assume. New Venice. Yeah, yeah, it is. And New Venice is basically a surface city that's sunk to the bottom of the ocean, right? Yes. Okay, so it's Sub Diego, 30 years before Sub Diego was a thing. So they're in the police station, and there's a knock at the door. And there's this great panel where Aquaman and Mera look at each other like, <laughs> and they open the door. And Poseidon is there with an army of fish behind him, as if to say, I'm here to kick your butt. You know, I mean, there's, it's a whole page of just Aquaman opening the door and being like, uh-oh. You know, and it's, oh, it's lovely. I it's really enjoy that. It's very weirdly paced. It's very oddly. I, maybe that's part of what it is. There's just something about the way Heck is laying out these panels that just, I don't know, the rhythm is all weird. <laughs> it's strange. I think this page is supposed to be half dramatic, half funny. I really I guess, do. I yeah. think they were going for that. Because the fish burst through the door and, you know, it's great. And uh, him and Poseidon slapping each other around. And the whole thing where he goes, he's my son. I mean, that's that's where this train really goes off Yeah, I mean, as, as, you know, <laughs> folks, if you're frustrated with my lack of synopsizing skills, just wait till we get to the next issues. Because <laughs> this story just goes completely batshit nuts. Uh, and, I mean, I, I don't know when we'll get to these next issues, but oh, holy mac. Um <laughs> Uh, but, but yeah, so, I mean, yeah, these were the backups in adventure. I mean, I, action, I, action. I, I was always happy to have Aquaman to read no matter where he was appearing, but I, I couldn't help but feel this was like a demotion that he's a backup strip. You know what I mean? Like when he was in adventure, he was at least in the lead. And then when he was in adventure before he was in adventure, he was, he was, he wasn't a backup. He was just part of their features. I mean, back when it was Adventure was a dollar title, and there was Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, and Aquaman. There wasn't really a lead feature. It was just everybody got their own thing. But here, Aquaman is playing second fiddle to, to Superman, of course. And it just—I don't know—it just bothers me. I feel like Aquaman's just too big of a character to be relegated to the back of a book. And then it got even worse because later on in action, he starts rotating this feature with Airwave and the Atom. <laughs> <laughs> oy, oy, you know, I mean, I know all the, they're, they're all, all A characters. I know. In action. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> How funny. Now, if, if you're wondering why we're not and Rob just explained it, that is why we didn't cover the first part of the story, the adventure comics, because those were leads. And we are yeah. very specifically focusing on backup stories. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was Aquaman. I mean, they, you know, they Aquaman just couldn't be the sales driver of a book. So they had to stick him in the back of action. Com- I mean, you know, people are buying action comics for Superman, clearly. So it almost it probably didn't really matter who was in the back. But, uh, you know, and it always just feels weird to have a, such a continued story spread over two books. But, you know, it's the way they did stuff back then. And I guess part of it is just the letdown. Again, I don't want to be so damn negative, but, I, you know, like those four issues in Adventure are awesome. I mean, they're fa- I love them. I read, I read them over, over and over again. In fact, there's a one-page sequence where Aquaman beats the crap out of Scavenger. Where he actually um, insults Firestorm, oddly enough. Uh, that is one of my all-time favorite Aquaman sequences. Uh, and so just to see that the, the thing took such a downward spiral kind of so quickly is really sort of strange and unnerving to me. Uh, to be, but to be fair, I mean, there's something to be said that Aquaman has a backup strip. You know, Zatanna didn't. At this yeah, point, yeah, they always kept him around. Yeah, 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 yeah. At this point, Green Arrow didn't have one, I don't think. Um, he was in World's you know, Finest, I think. At I mean, the same time? Okay. Around Haw- this time. But, I mean, they, they always... yeah, they always, Hawkman didn't. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. He was enough of a marquee character that they always put him somewhere. They always... Yeah. He always had to be 
somewhere. Now, this was, yeah, this, he didn't have his, uh, you know, he was alternating appearances between here, Justice League, and Super Friends at that point. But, yeah, they, you know, he was never without a home for that long. There were brief periods where you could only find him in Justice League. But uh, that was pretty rare. I mean, they, DC did at least make efforts to say, hey, we should stick the guy somewhere because he has enough of a, of a following. Yeah. So, Is it wrong me to say even Don Heck can draw Mara hot? I mean, it's... Is that okay? Yeah, it's fine. I yeah, I mean, I, I think Don Heck is he's like um, I know you're not gonna like this comparison because you don't like this guy George Tuska. Like, I it's not that I don't like George Tuska. I'm just not a fan of his superhero artwork. Okay, well, that's what I'm saying. I think Don Heck um is great on other features or particular. You know, I shouldn't even say that because George Tuska did a great run on Iron Man. So I don't know. There was just something about he was. You know, I just don't think he was a great match. And is it to me following Dick Giordano? That's a hard. That's a hard thing to do. That's really I think cool. Don Heck had a pretty celebrated run on Iron Man. He did. Too, didn't yeah, they're both. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. I mean, Don Heck had a long career, and supposedly I heard a great story from Paul Kupperberg about him, where he was like, like had like apparently like a real thick Brooklyn accent kind of guy, but was really funny, and hmm. could, and could get really like agitated, but in kind of a funny way. And one time he like really ripped into Kupperberg for writing a script that featured like a thousand people in it. And he was like, what the hell are you doing to me over here, Copperberg? I got to draw all these sons of bitches. You know, they're going, like, that's great. I love hearing that. That's just like a fun thing. So That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, folks, with that, I think we're going to we're gonna go to break here in just a second. But before we do, you know, just want to let you know where we're, what we're going to do. We're going to go to break, and we're going to come back and do your listener feedback. And if you haven't been a long-time listener to your show, and we are picking up some new folks, just want to explain a little things, a few things to you. Um, people that listen to our show on a regular basis, we refer to them as nuclear subs. And it's a fun play on words, nuclear because of Firestorm, sub is in submarine for Aquaman, also sub doubles as like subscriptions. It's a great little term. Uh, we love it. It's uh, one, of, one of the listeners came up with it. So, yes, the listeners are nuclear subs. And also every uh, episode when we do feedback, we try to award something we call the STEAM Award, which is an award for someone that has gone above and beyond and have done something really great in the realm of Aquaman or Firestorm or specific to the podcast. And so, uh, and it, the Steam Award is very prestigious. In fact, Dan, Dan Jurgens has a Lifetime Achievement Award, a Steam Award. And the Steam Award is as tangible as Steam itself. So, um, in fact, what's going to happen right now as we go to break, uh, you're going to hear something from Mr. Luke Dobb, who, in fact, has won himself, congratulations, Luke, another Steam Award for what you're about to hear. Uh, Luke's going to have to get a bigger mantle because he has a few of them now, a few Steam Awards. He's the Tom and Hanks of Steam Awards. He is, yes. So uh, I think with that, uh, I think there's nothing more to say. We should just do it. Yeah, well, uh, we should do Did you give the name of the song? Oh, I did not. Go, go give him the name of the song. Uh, Making Steam? There you go. Enjoy, everybody. Mondays were such a drag But now with Rob and Shag Matthews and Kelly light the feed We don our super suits Orange scales and flaming dukes We become nuclear submarines And we are We are Oh, oh we're making Oh, oh we're making Oh, oh we're making steam, making steam. Oh, oh, oh. we're making, oh, oh, oh. we're making. 
making steam, making steam. I finally found a place, a super sacred space, where everybody knows my name. Cliff Clavin, grab a seat. It's Cliff Carmichael Street. Throw one down and have a drink with me. folks we're back from break and now it's time for and we've got quite a bit of it we're going to cover several episodes um but before we do man what a song 
I got to tell you, I had had a really, I've had a rough week. I've had a really rough week, personally and professionally. And I went out there to our email box, downloaded the song, heard it. Sorry, I had I had man tears, uh, like not like flowing like woohoo, but it's just like it it just came at the right time. And guys, I don't know you guys. I assume you guys know Rob and I put a lot of effort into the show. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But, but <laughs> doesn't always sound like it. It probably doesn't feel like it, especially tonight with who those comics we just covered. But we we really love doing this show. And more so, we love the community of people that has been built around this show. The nuclear subs, the match heads, the aquanauts, whatever you guys, whatever you call yourselves, whatever we call us collectively as a group, y'all are who I talk to about comic books nowadays. In the old days, I'd go to a comic shop where I either worked or or would shop at and hang out in the comic shop and talk with 10 or 15 different guys about the new comics are on the shelf, whatever, opinions, whatever. You guys are my first stop for talking about comics nowadays. I love chatting with you guys. I, you know, whether it's on Facebook, joking around with Ashton Burge, or talking with Daniel Cynical Adams, or Andy Capelsch, whatever. I, I really feel a connection to you guys, and that song sort of celebrates everything we've been trying to build, and it just really touched me. And I just want to say thanks to Luke for that. I really yep. appreciate it. And I got to hear my name in a song. <laughs> All right, folks. We're going to start off your feedback. Uh, we're going to uh, got a couple of iTunes reviews. Thank you so much for those. Those are a really big deal. They help increase the profile of the show and get people noti- uh, help get the show noticed on iTunes. So if you haven't done an iTunes review, this is me on bended knee begging you. Please, please do it. Do it for me. Okay. So first review is from someone whose name is Your Mom is a Popular Nickname. <laughs> Love that. He called his review, Holy Nuclear Fried Fish. My enjoyment of these characters goes way back. I was in grammar school when Fury Firestorm debuted in 1982, and while I didn't stay with that series for very long, he's still part of what I consider my JLA. I've always been a fan of Aquaman. That's Aquaman spelled with two hands. I don't get that. I don't get it either. Okay. But the post-Blackest Night Aquaman has been top-notch. The hosts are are true fans who embrace all versions of their respective characters while ragging on the others to keep things fun. Long may you swim slash burn. (laughs) I love it. Now, it's funny, you know, he put in the title, Holy Nuclear Fried Fish. Some of you who are fairly new to the show may not know, that's what I wanted to call the podcast when it first started, was Fried Fish. uh, Because it was fire and water, you know, or nuclear man and and Aquaman. and, And thankfully, fire and water came up, which is much better than fried fish. But anyway... Next iTunes review comes from Silent Walker 420. That you know, those are the kind of names that give me nightmares. Like, scares me. But anyway, uh, he says a podcast soothing to the ears. This podcast delivers on three things for me continuously. One strengthens my deepest respect for Aquaman and Firestorm. Two reminds me to find my niche in school's comics history. An exciting afternoon. Uh, an exciting afternoon. New Who's Who episode with my daughter, she's five, flipping through old Who's Who issues in DC Encyclopedia, enjoying comics as they were intended. Thanks for keeping up the hard work. Or thanks, thanks for the hard work. Keep it up. There we go. Awesome. Uh, I think I missed a three in there. That's my fault. Sorry about that. But either way, thank you for those reviews, guys. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, I love finding new reviews. I check the iTunes feed every so often, and when I see new reviews, I'm like, oh, I get so excited. So yeah, yeah. Uh, we get an email from Brendan Savinsky. He says, uh, Dear Rob and Shag, Shag and Rob, 
I want to start by thanking you guys for pumping out this and your many other Fire and Water family podcasts. I'm currently a college student, and as I'm sure you guys know, it is a stressful time. I wouldn't know. I went to high school. Fun but stressful. Because... Because I am because I am so busy, I found it very difficult following comic book news or even reading them. Considering I am loyal to a specific comic shop in my town, plus I get a pretty sweet deal there. I tend to wait till I get off for break or my parents come to visit and get my comic books, but they tend to just stack up in my dorm. Sometimes I just look at the books I have in my dorm, and every now and again I have contemplated stopping with the collection and just forgetting about comics. Now, mind you, I've been a comic fan since the word push, <laughs> and just being and just being surrounded by them between all the great and terrible cartoons of the '90s and OOs or aughts, I guess, and the fact that my mom, yes, my mom, was a superhero fan herself, only fueled it. To digress for a moment, I have that weird situation where my mom had the comic collection that I got as I grew older. She drove me to the comic store and read them to me, and she went with me to see all the movies. Meanwhile, my dad apparently cringed at Captain America the Winter Soldier, and my mom dragged him to go see it. Oh, and I have also gone to Comic-Con with her for the last four years. Anyway, back to the point. I have always been a superhero fan and a comic book fan for as long as I can remember, and the fact that I might give it up feels weird, but sometimes I seriously consider it. But then I listened to your podcast, the one show that I consistently listened to, and I remember why I continued, continued collecting and reading comics for this long, because I love it. Then I usually, after looking like a fool walking around campus laughing my ass off while listening to the two of you, pick a number of books that are four to five months old and just sit and read them, and all the stress leaves me for a bit. And I immediately fall back in love with these characters and these books and forget all about stopping my collection. That is all because of you two and the show you do, so thank you from the bottom of my heart. Aww. That's an amazing email. That is amazing. I mean, he's walking around college, the campus, giggling like an idiot. I mean, we're probably interfering with him getting any, like, action, you know, which is <laughs> what part of what college is about. Again, I wouldn't know. I went to art school. But, uh, so we, we can't we can't take the blame for that, but I'm willing to take credit for the rest of the stuff. It's a very nice email. I, I was very touched by that. I'm, I'm goofing around, but that was a very, very, very um, nice message. We really appreciate it, Brennan. I like his PS, too. Shag, because of your reviews of Fury of, the, of Firestorm Classic, I have dropped about $10 on a lot of 31 Firestorm books. And $10 is a lot for eating out as a broke college kid. Forget other comics that I don't buy on a regular basis. So I have to say I apologize uh, to you, Brennan, that your hard-earned cash is going to spend on comics and you're going hungry. But just think of it as you're feeding your mind. How's that? Yes. And man, a, a, a mom that loves comics and drags you to superhero movies, like, man, Brendan's dad picked a winner. He may not necessarily think so if he does not into this stuff, but man. It was a Comic-Con with you. That's she, awesome. she sounds like one great lady. <laughs> she sounds very cool. So, yes. Uh, I got an email from Ian McGregor. Uh, he, his subject line is, in comics, dead parents aren't very dead. <laughs> Hi, Robin Shag. I've been listening to your podcast for about six months now, and I think that you are one of the best podcasting duos I've ever heard. Oh, well, thank you. Your excellent podcast has inspired me to pick up the monthly Aquaman title and go hunting for back issues of Fury of Firestorm. During the latest Fire and Water, Rob mentioned to me how he's not a fan of modern writers' obsession with superheroes' parents and how he considers himself in the minority on this. As a 14-year-old comic fan, I have to say that I and most of my comic-reading fans also share this feeling. Many comics nowadays constantly refer back to the main character's parental issues. This is especially true for Jeff Johns. During his Green Lantern run, Hal was always mentioning his father. During Flash Rebirth and the subsequent ongoing, Johns retcons Barry having a dead mother and a father in jail, resulting in plenty of constant angst for Barry. During the New 52 Justice League, Cyborg had issues with his father. 
during his Aquaman run, Johns had constant flashbacks to Aquaman's father. I'm so annoyed with this writer's tick that I am very wary of reading any Jeff Johns comics. Like Rob, I just want writers to tell new stories about characters in the present. I won't get into the modern writer's obsession with origin stories here and how I could probably write a book on the subject. Okay, rant off. So, uh, <laughs> he's got some of that same passion you've got there, buddy. Yay! And, uh, I appreciate it, Ian, and you make a lot of good points there. And, um... Hopefully, we'll start to see some of these other books, like Aquaman and the Others, hopefully uh, may deal a little bit with Atlan, but hopefully, for the most part, it will just move forward, and uh, we'll get to see less origin stories. So, I know at least those Firestorm classics, we get to see less and less about that kind of stuff and, and move forward. So, we heard from Jamie Thayer again. He said, with Aquaman and the Others, I don't think this will happen, because the writer will want to introduce their own character into the series, but I think it'd be fantastic to give Vostok's helmet to SWAT. SWAT is the only Atlantean that can't breathe underwater. The helmet will allow him to do this. Let him explore the surface world with the team as a member, bringing a character we already know about from being in Atlantis, and it would probably help keep the relics charged longer or without Aquaman. Just an idea that would fit in perfectly. Um, I have to say that is a clever idea, Jamie. I got to think, though, because SWAT was one of Jeff John's characters, and it seems like they've almost completely abandoned all that stuff. Like, we haven't seen... Um, SWAT, we haven't seen, we've seen Tula, that's the only one yeah, I think we've seen. haven't seen Merc. Yeah, your buddy Merc, we haven't seen <laughs> Merc either. Yay! <laughs> Thank you, Jeff Barker. So, well, I think it's kind of a cool idea, and I'm interested, to, I do want to learn more about SWAT, because I was kind of curious what that was about. Uh, I don't think we're going to, but neat idea, neat idea. Heard from uh, my buddy Jose Rivera, he says, so I just finished listening to the Dan Jurgens episode, and I absolutely loved it. Jurgens is one of my favorite artist writers in the comics, and when I was a kid, I was a huge Booster Gold fan. I loved his Justice League run as well, and his Superman, as I was overjoyed when he worked on the new Booster Gold series in, in 2007. His art has always had this semi-animated look to it I've always found amazing as a kid. Uh, I always found him, sorry, amazing as a kid. At a time when everyone was trying to copy Jim Lee, Todd McFarlane, and everyone over at Image, Dan Jurgens thankfully never went that route and gave us a clean style that I always appreciated. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, Dan's got a really, really recognizable style, and when you see it, you just know it's Dan. And it's still dynamic, it's still very action-oriented, but it's, uh, it's, it does have almost an animated, probably the closest word I, yeah, I can come up with. Yeah, good, good observation, Jose. Uh, he also mentions, uh, as for Aquaman and the others, I'm interested to see where it goes. I like the characters, with the operator being my favorite. And I, too, wondered if the Anton mentioned in the first issue was Arcane. I know Aquaman is supposed to meet Swamp Thing soon, so I wouldn't put it past them. Uh, we can, I have a little update on that. I know for a fact now it is not an Anton Arcane. Okay. Uh, because another uh, fan of the show, Russ Berlin Game, sent mm. me an email. He interviewed Jeff, uh, not Jeff Johns, he interviewed Dan Jurgens for comicbook.com and his first question he mentions the show and says uh, that on the Firewater podcast they were speculating that Anton could be Arcane and Dan Jurgen says no they're new characters so now we, wow. know, we know from right from the horse's mouth that is not Anton Arcane there's no connection there he says they are new characters and thanks for listening Russ I didn't realize you did Russ is a, is a big match head and Russ interviews Dan uh, like almost after every comic on Comic, what was it? It's comicbook.com. Comicbook.com, right? yeah. Yeah. Russ gets interviewed Dan all the time. I'm horribly jealous of him. So, um, wow, that's really cool. Now, I see, I suspected it wasn't Anton Arcane because Anton Arcane was really fleshed out in the Swamp Thing and Animal Man storyline, the Rot World. And I don't think there's any coming back from that for a while. Uh, Arcane was really a horrific monster. Right. Russ that, was lumping so. us both in together, making this speculation. It was really just me. 
Oh, well, I, okay. either way. So, okay. Um, Jose wrote us in another email. He said, what you guys said about, uh, this is talking about Aquaman and the others. What you guys said about this issue compared to the first issue also brought up an interesting question. In the days when you write for the trade, should a first issue stand alone or should it always be the first chapter in a larger story? Um, my opinion on this is that the first issue should always be a complete stand on its own story. Now, you could still have your B subplot and C subplot, sure, you sure. know, hinting in there. But I think it should be a one-and-done adventure where you meet the characters, you learn something about them, and you move on. I, I, that's how I think it should be. I don't think it should be the first part of a six-parter. Yeah, I agree entirely. I remember the, 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 the massive buildup to Justice League number one. You know, the new of the new 52 mm-hmm. and like, you know, stores were open at midnight and, you know, everything else. And I remember, you know, I went to the store, I went to my local store, all things fun, Berlin, Berlin, New Jersey, and picked it up and I read it and uh, it took me about 45 seconds. And I'm like, to be continued, like, wait, I, ju- this is a book is called Justice League. There's only three heroes in it. Like I was, you know, <laughs> I'm really like, what's going on? And it felt very pamphlety to me. You know, it just yeah. didn't feel like – so, yeah, I agree entirely. I would. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a first issue of a series being a complete thought one way or the other. Yeah. Like, of course, yeah, you, do, you lay in the subplots and you know things are coming. But I like something being, you know, just a, a beginning, middle, and an end. And, you know, Aquaman number one was like that, if I recall, wasn't it? It was a, a one-and-done kind of thing. Yeah, ba- yeah, I mean, sure, there was continuous – but, yeah, there was a, a – you know, there was a, some sort of a, you know, here's a beginning, middle, and end – Sequence. He was in a. He was. He fought the runaway truck. He fought mm-hmm. or the, the the bank the robbers and then bank robbers the and then the diner. And yeah, the blogger and the whole bit and the thing with Mira at the end. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, then we heard from Aaron Headmoss. He says, "I this time with the digest. I too love the old digest. In fact, when I started reading GI Joe, I started at issue fifty eight, fifty nine. I read the first several digests of GI Joe to get caught up as I was looking for the actual comics. Also, before I got into comics full time, I read the occasional Marvel digest. I remember Hulk and Fantastic Four digest. Also, when I got into buying and reading comics full time, I picked up some of the DG, DC digest. Great stories." He also asked if uh, if we would help pimp his upcoming podcast. He says his first one's going to be called Head Speaks which is where I talk about comics, movies, and other geek-related items and anything else that either annoys or interests me. My second one is Task Force X. Woo! Where I'll be discussing the Suicide Squad and Checkmate books and appearances in the late 80s to early 90s. This is my podcast can be found um, at Head Speaks, like head, top of your neck, headspeaks.com. Uh, so now, I, I, at this point, I'm not sure if they're posted yet or not, but that is where you can find them. I'm excited about the Task Force X stuff, dude. I love me some Suicide Squad, and I think the uh, the podcast space is desperately needing this. So this is exciting. I really see. I thought the Head podcast was going to be about Modok, and I'm kind of disappointed to find that it isn't. But Monarch? No, Modok. I don't know what you're talking you about. You know the Marvel villain Modok? Oh, Modok. Mod- oh, jeez. What, what are you, Modoc? Modoc. What? Oh, I'm right. sorry. There's somehow some appropriate okay. way to say Modoc, and not, okay, I'm being ridiculous. Amer- America, help me out. I am the king of mispronouncing things, but is it Modoc or Modoc? And I think uh, the superhero squad, Marvel superhero squad cartoon, will probably back me up on my pronunciation. <laughs> I don't have children, so I don't know. Okay. Uh... Why do you have to be a child to watch that cartoon? What are, what are you trying to say? What are you saying about me? You know what I'm saying. Lucien Cesar, <laughs> thank you for saving me here in this. He says, I have a question. Recently in my local comic book shop in Times Square, braggart, there was a lot of discussion that Aquaman, <laughs> this is my local comic shop in Times Square, 
uh, that a lot of discussion that Aquaman will turn into the next Batman with a whole series of spinoffs, which I doubt highly one can dream. However, one theory is that there might be a Mira spinoff, or at the very least, have her featured with a team-up of other female heroes. What are the chances of this happening? None. And if there were a team-up, if there were a team-up, who would be in it? Look, I hope that doesn't happen, because I don't want the brand to be spread that thin too fast. You know, like, let's not kill it, because that's always what happens. Somebody, comic companies, or yeah, this happens with two, TV networks or movie, they find something hot, and they just overdo it, and then they burn it out. So I don't want to see that. That said... I would love to see a Mira solo feature. I don't think she gets enough to do. Uh, I understand why she doesn't, because there's just a lot of Aquaman stories to tell. Um, I think I, they're not going to do this, but like I think it'd be kind of interesting because Paul Pelletier has talked about how he wants to get caught up on the art, like to give him like I, I could see why you wouldn't do it every month because there's such little space already. But like maybe every other month, make Aquaman like a shorter feature and give Mira like a backup by herself. I think that would be really cool. Like every other month, give like Mira seven pages or something. I would love to see that. I would love to see more of her in a solo capacity, but uh, I don't want to see her own book. That's just too much too soon. You know, it would be a, a good compromise as well. What they did with Blackest Night. Remember Blackest Night? Um, she was one of the main characters. Yes, she was. It was a big storyline. She had stuff to do. Oh, yeah. She was, you know, she didn't have to carry the feature herself though. You know, so you know, if it knew new futures end, had she, if she had been one of the main characters or something, it would have been great. So I think that that person, that's the way I would handle it. I would make her the main character in some event you're doing. So uh, I love how he signs it, Subway Shark Seller. <laughs> I thought he saw somebody selling sharks. Was he the one selling sharks? No, no, sharks? he saw it. He saw it. Okay. Yeah. Selling sharks in a subway. True, true story. By the seashore. Um, this is a tongue twister. You're up. Uh, oh, yes, uh, Benton Gray, our old pal Benton Gray. Uh, he sent us quite a long email full of really interesting stuff, but he specifically here, he says, Second, and high, uh, this highlights one of the facts I've always loved about Aquaman. He isn't Superman. He's strong, he's tough, and he's fast, but he isn't invulnerable. He can't juggle buses, and he can't fly, making his entrance all the more impressive. He is, quite honestly, outclassed by a threat this big, talking about um, Hercules and the giant monster, and yet he still steps up because that's what Aquaman has always done. When trading punches with the Shaggy Man, tying down Ultraman, or slugging it out with giant monsters, Arthur is not usually, is usually not the strongest guy in the room. He has often fought above his weight class and won. He's indomitable, he's unshakable, and he's utterly heroic in the truest sense of the word. That is a beautiful thing. Very well put, Benton. I uh, yeah. enjoy that one very much. So, well, Benton's always extremely elegant. Yeah, uh, yes. all of his letters are fantastic. Elo- and, uh, eloquent, I believe you mean. Yes, exactly what I meant. See, uh, he, that's might be, why he might be. He might be elegant yeah. too. I don't know. He might. I picture him kind of like a Liberace type thing. I don't know. I've never met him actually. Oh my god, <laughs> well, he's very elegant. He, you know, like the candelabra. I don't know. It's late, <laughs> folks. We're punching. We are. You are. I am. Uh, next, we heard from Patrick Moe. He says, for both of you, is there anyone who hasn't been introduced or really featured the New 52 to date that you'd like to see more of? Um, for me, yes. Uh, the old Blue Devil, please. Um, sorry. That's really snarky. I'm I'm really, like, viscerally vis- – see, I can't say anything. <laughs> uh, I'm uh, bothered by the, the New 52 version of Blue Devil, the revamping. I think they just need to scratch it and bring back the classic Blue Devil. That's what they need to do. That's what I want to see more of. That's terrible of me. It's not. I don't mean to be anti. I'm sorry, but I, I need Dan Cassidy, like as he should be. So, what about you? Anybody you feel like I've been introduced? Um, I I think they've tiptoed around bringing Plastic Man back, uh, but they haven't yet. I'd love to see Plastic Man. 
just because I love Plastic Man and I want to see him in the DCU. And uh, this is unrelated, but like Elongated Man too. I'd like to see him back. I mean, uh, I'd like to see all the classic JLAers back. I mean, Red Tornado. He's another one that they've tiptoed around, but they haven't. Brought no, back. no, he's he, Red Tornado's back. Oh, is he? Where is he back? Sort of. He's in Earth Two. Oh, because you know that's where Red Tornado originally started, right? And he's and he's a woman there because he was a woman there as well. Yes, uh, it's a know. female Red Tornado robot whose body is controlled by like the consciousness or whatever. If is, is Lois Lane, let's move on. It's strange, but it works. So okay. anyway, right. he said, I was cleaning out my inbox and came across the notification for the RPG podcast. Is that something that will continue or is it really a one shot? I never got into RPGs, but it always intrigued me and it was fun to learn a little more. Yes, I promise. I promise. I promise. <laughs> Hero points. Episode two will happen. It is not Siskoid's fault. It is entirely my fault. I have had a hard time committing to recording the next episode and Thankfully, Siskoid, uh, a couple months ago, I couldn't figure out the, how we were going to do the next episode because it's we're covering, you ready for this, The Atlas of the DC Universe, the greatest book ever. And I couldn't wrap my brain around how to do it. And Siskoid came up with a plan. I was like, oh, that's it. Now it's just a matter of finishing, getting the time to do it when I'm not busy reading action comic, back, action comic backup stories. Um, it will happen. I promise you. So it, it will be a... As we said, an occasional thing. I was kind of thinking it would be more quarterly, but obviously that hasn't worked out so well because it's been like six months since the last episode. So, Sorry about that, folks. Uh, we received several messages from Kyle Benning, who quickly is becoming as prolific as uh, Diablo Frank, I think. Uh, he, he, he commented on a lot of our different podcasts. Thank you for that. Uh, when we talked about Aquaman and the others, he said, did Shag really just correct Rob's pronunciation? Aquaman has two ongoing books, and now Shag is the master of English language. Will wonders never seek <laughs> or cease? Man, now I am messing up, uh, which is pretty funny. So I'm usually horrible about my pronunciation, as you can tell tonight. And then he put in here, hey, I like Superboy in the Ravers. Well, congratulations, Kyle. You're that guy. <laughs> um, when we watched the, the cartoons, the, we did the Bizarro episode of Superpowers. And I was, I was talking about how Bizarro speak was really bothering me because it was, not, it was inconsistent. Because sometimes it made sense as reverse, sometimes it didn't. And he said, don't try to determine any logic or consistency for Bizarro speak. There is none. They use it selectively in almost all of his appearances, whether it's cartoon or comic. They change the rule to fit whatever goofy sentence they want to drop on us, and I'm actually okay with that. <laughs> uh, regarding Aquaman number 30, he mentions, he says, another great issue of Aquaman. It was a lot of fun, and it's good to see a short little fun arc that is action-packed. I agree, Peltier's art is getting stronger with each issue. I really look forward to when he can get caught up and see what he's able to do when he can tackle the whole issue and not feel rushed. The backup or assistant art team is much stronger this issue as well. All around great. I haven't looked at sales numbers, but I hope this book is still reeling in the, really in the high numbers. It was getting early on because Parker's run this far has been fantastic. It is. It's still doing very well, by the way. Uh, he also mentions, I'm stoked about Star Wars. I get to take my soon-to-be-born son to see Star Wars in the theater. Do you know how amazing that is? The first Star Wars movie I got to see on the big screen was Empire Strikes Back, special edition, the only special edition movie worth watching, and was just blown away. I was already a huge Star Wars fan, but that was life-changing. I can't wait to share the experience with my kids for this next trilogy, and I am very excited and optimistic that this new trilogy will succeed with the prequels failed. Um, yeah, one thing I'm going to mention about the Star Wars movies is one of the, the most um, 
my, my dad and I got along just fine when we were when I was a kid, but we didn't have a lot to talk about because he was just kind of like a regular guy, and I was like all into comic books and all this nerd stuff. And I think he just was at a loss, you know, as to like how to relate to me. But he took me to like every cool movie that was out there, and so I saw Star Wars. He took me to see Star Wars. He took me to see Empire. I think I saw Jedi on my own by that point, but I remember, you know, distinctly being in line with him and my sister to see the first two Star Wars movies, and they were life-changing. And so I made a promise to him that when the next movie comes out, I'm going to take him to, mm-hmm. see, to see Episode Seven because, like, he just – like, he's into it. Like, he wants to hear about it and stuff. My mom is not interested at all, so there's no way they're going to go. So I said, Dad, we're going to go see – we're going to go see Star Wars. So that will be really fun to um, take my dad to go see Star Wars after, after him doing that for me so many years ago. That's really cool. We, we, we actually did the exact same thing with my dad when the Star Trek movie came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one, we went and saw that with him because he brought us, got us into Star Trek. That's really cool. You're going to have a great time. You're going to love that. Um, let's see. He had another comment here. He says, you could call the Firestorm backup story segment Firestorm feature atomic anecdotes or nuclear narrations <laughs> and then maybe have an Aquaman backup or anthology called Aqua Anecdotes Seas of Subsidies <laughs> so Shag don't spend too much time wondering about Cliff and Doreen's history this is because Cliff, Clavin, and Doreen Day were arm in arm in this flashback you said it again Cliff, Clavin good god did I really <laughs> you notice by the way I, I you notice the fact that I get Cliff Clavin and Cliff Carmichael mixed up all the time. You notice that Luke put that in the song, right? That was awesome. Yes. Uh, anyway, he says, don't spend too much worrying about Cliff and Doreen's history. It's not worth wasting time or effort over. Ideally, they walk in, off into the sunset, hand in hand, climb into a pinto, then drive off a cliff, killing them both in a horribly painful death. <laughs> awesome. Heard from our buddy Michael Bailey. He sent us a nice commentary on uh, commentaries. And about how to do this properly. And then he wrote, Shag Matthews has the chance to ask Dan Jurgens anything. And he asks Dan about <laughs> blood wind. This is why Shag and I are friends. We heard from our buddy Ange. He sent us a scan of his DC special number nine, the Dr. Fate issue, the cover signed by Joe Kubert and Walt Simonson. Um, the only thing Ange forgot to send was his address so I could come steal it. Because that is a gorgeous, gorgeous piece. I love that comic book so much. I mean, there's there's very few comics that, like... I don't know. I get like emotionally. I don't know. It's hard to say, but there's there's an emotional connection with that comic in me because it meant so much to me, and uh, I just love it. I just absolutely do. I think also part of it is that there was there's just the one. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it's so. It's very very rarely is your favorite run a favorite run of yours distilled to literally one comic. Yeah, and it's that it's one true. time you're like, why did they do more of this? It yeah. <laughs> was so yeah. good. It was. Uh, He says, while I don't think I draw as hard a line as Rob, I'm also a bit sick of creators looking back at characters' parents and histories. I love hearing a little motivation and upbringing, but when it comes to exercise and minutia, when the creators bring up every single event from the past, it does pull away from the present. I think some of this is the need for creators to explain and rationalize why evil people are evil. Lex isn't evil. He's misunderstood because he felt trapped by Smallville. Zod isn't evil. He just wants order. Even the Grinch has been repositioned to be Grinchy because he was bullied. I miss the days of people being good because it's the right thing to do and people being evil because they're evil. Says, you want to see a father put through the ringer? Look at Zor-El, Supergirl's dad. Then he goes on and gives some examples about what <laughs> Zor-El's gone through in various incarnations. And it's, it's pretty upsetting. He's right. Zor-El's really been put through the ringer. So, um, 
when we talked about Firestorm number 10, he said the hyena storyline in Firestorm was my favorite in the early issues, especially given the lycanthropy concerns Shag mentioned in the review. I've always thought the card of Firestorm number 12 was fantastic. Scary. Yeah, you guys will learn about that in two months. Woof. Um, I says, I'd love to hear more Shag about the hyena uh, being a mystical were-creature. In the original series, I thought it was more a special suit Summer was wearing. Didn't she have mechanical drill claws at one point? I prefer this version much more. Um, to answer your question, they never established that hyena was a suit that Summer was wearing. However, it seems clear as day, get it, day, uh, that they were going that way. Uh, if you read those first appearances of Hyena, it really, they really do imply that she has got either a costume on or at least accessories, like a, I think it was a diamond tipped claws is what it was, or something like the drill claws. So, I think somewhere along the line, Jerry Conway changed his mind to make it more of an infection, uh, rather than to make it a costume that she was wearing. Uh, Ange also said, I read the back, Firestorm backups back in the day, and more recently the trades of the original series. That was some good Perez art, and I was thrilled to see Professor Stein. The quote, Professor Stein has no memories, plotline go away. Of all those backups, the one I liked the best was Whatever Happened to in DC Comics Presents. Before Who's Who, that was a series that introduced me to some of the little-known characters in the DCU. Great feature. You know, and that may be, after we sort of tap out the Aquaman and Firestorm backups, maybe we should tap those, because those would be good one-and-dones. Uh, it says, as for a name, how about backup files? After all, you could always back up your files. <laughs> it's completely appropriate. Uh, an email from Sean Corey uh, going over the debate about whether he is old enough to uh, confiscate our, our geek, geek cards. Because he says, I notice you neither confirmed or deny whether, I, whether or not I am, in fact, old enough to confiscate your geek cards. I should have been more clear. It's not your age. It's not your, it's not your, your, your chronolo- chronological age. I'm saying if... Someone has been reading comics or being a nerd longer than you. You cannot take away their geek card. That's what I'm saying. So if someone who's only been reading comics for a couple of years tries to take away my geek card, I just flat out say you can't have it because I've been reading comics for 35 years. Now, if somebody's reading comics for 40 years, which I don't think Sean has, uh, tries to do it, then maybe we got a case. But I'm going to argue that no, it's, it's, it's time served. I totally disagree with you. Okay. I think if you're off base and you're out of line, if it's the next generation or the generation before you and they call you to the carpet on it, I think that's fair. Now, let's be realistic. We don't actually have physical geek cards for anyone to take, so we're sort of in a hypothetical land anyway. Maybe you know. But, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. They probably issued them when I was too young. That's what it is. I'm, I'm, so I, I am older than you, Shag. It was the exactly. 70s. It was a crazy time. Yeah, right. So, anyway. Um, <laughs> whatever. All right. Then we heard from our buddy Siskoid. He said, Rob's idea for a Bob Haney podcast? I know he was kidding, but I love them. One step closer to reality. Then Earth, Earth 2 Chris comes back and says, add me to the list of folks who would gladly listen or participate in a Bob Haney podcast. Then Rob comes back with, here, you want to read that? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I guess so. I said, uh, where, where did I, okay, here, it okay. Uh, I wrote, uh, welcome to the Bob Haney Podcast. Let us introduce our new co-hosts, Shag Jr. and Rob Jr., the Super Sons. They'll be gone next week, and we never mention them again. <laughs> the Earth 2 Chris came back when he said, over at the Den- Denny O'Neill Podcast, the juniors will get publicly dissed, and everyone will be told they were a computer simulation. Hilarity ensues. <laughs> and the final comment was from Cisco, who's the best. He goes, the more we kid, the less we're kidding, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to do a Bob Haney episode of the show. I absolutely would. I think that'd be a lot of fun. We should think about that. You guys, you know what? Tell us if you could, because I'm not as familiar with some Bob Haney. Give us some of Bob Haney's, like, 
craziest but fun stuff worth reading. Don't give me something that just is terrible that he wrote. Give me something that's fun but absolutely haney zany, and uh, I, I would be happy to talk about that on a show. That's literally any issue of Brave and the Bold. I don't know. There's got to be some that are better than others. Well, yeah, but there are just Brave and the Bold. He really let the freak flag fly. Yeah, I was just like, Batman has a brother. What? Like, where did that happen? You know, <laughs> never heard of thinking, again. I'm thinking Haney Zany might become a thing. I'm just yeah, saying. it could be. Could be. Uh, you get an email from Darren Sutherland. Did I hear you guys correctly? If so, I had a good laugh. In your misguided attempts to explain your dislike of Arrow in episode 84, did I just hear Shag criticize a character for having a British accent for no reason? First of all, no, you didn't. You had me. That was me. Uh, and then Darren goes on to explain why there are good reasons for the British, British accent, because the actor has a British accent and gives the show more international <laughs> appeal. Uh, I hope you both read this in the spirit as intended. Ride the wave and fan the flame. I, no, I understand the actor has a British accent. The, 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 the reason I was mentioning it is because, to me, the CW, just every show has a character with a British accent for no reason. You know, like they'll, uh, they'll, they'll set a show in, in, in Idaho and a guy's got a British accent. Like, why? You know, and it just felt like having a guy with a British accent in the first episode of Arrow. I was like, oh, God, like it just felt so formula. It just felt like, you know, the CW has like an identikit to make a TV show. Got to have British guy, <laughs> got to have hot guy, hot girl, hot guy, smarmy best friend. It just felt very, you know, so that's that's kind of what I was goofing on. I understand the, the, the actor is British, but it just it just felt. Very same samey to me. <laughs> That's all. And we're talking about um, what Arrow's stepdad is that who we're talking about? Yeah, yeah, the guy. Yeah. yeah, the guy that married his mom. Yeah, he's been on Doctor Who. Well, and then there you go. British accent, perfectly fine. But it just, you know, I, I felt like Arrow was was just coming right out of that CW mold a bit. But you know. we shouldn't. We probably shouldn't cover Arrow as much on these feedback episodes, simply because it's just going to get their ire up. At I know, again. I know, I know. I'm gonna. I'll give this the Flash a shot. Because apparently the season finale was amazing of season two, which I'm just adding more fuel to the fire by even saying that. So now I'm still committed to watching season two, folks, when I get my hands on a Netflix. So don't get upset. (laughs) All right, Luke, Jack and Eddie, let's hear it. Uh, (laughs) Episode 80 uh, regarding episode 80. My high school had a five year reunion. Yes, that's right. A five year reunion. This particularly lame idea was enacted since two members <laughs> since two members of my graduating class were getting married right around the half-decade mark, so they decided to organize a reunion. Having relocated to South Carolina by that point and having so many fond memories of going to school with these people, I responded to the invitation with, please remove me from your mailing list, <laughs> which is not as good as my friend Bob, who responded with, can't come, but please buy my book, followed by an Amazon link. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely That's love awesome. it. awesome. I love that. Yeah. Uh, uh, he, also, he, he also wrote in, he said, Typhoon is the storm of the soul. How Bronze Age is this? A guy with roiling emotional turmoil in his heart being called Typhoon. I do like Typhoon not being part of the Shoeshine family. They were there no reason to keep them at all interconnected. That's a reference to the unpublished number six. But uh, He says, I am loving that he's consistently shown to be a solid B-list bad guy in the New 52 along with the other Firestorm rogues. Uh, he also responded to something Earth 2 Chris said, who said that the uh, Marvel Digest had worse printing than a Charlton comic. So he writes back, a Digest with printing worse than a Charlton comic? Is that even possible? I have an unhealthy appreciation for Charlton war and horror comics, but they look like they were printed on a type of sponge cake. <laughs> <laughs> it was the same The same presses were used for cereal boxes, so, you know. It's, oh, uh, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, he came back, he said, uh, this was... Um there's a lot of discussion about 
the animated episodes we did where about Darkseid's voice and how Frank Welker did it mm-hmm. and all the different stuff Frank Welker's done. Frank Welker's a very fam- famous voice actor. He says, I just want to say that from what I've read, Frank Welker's voice for Darkseid and Soundwave is the same voice. But for Soundwave, his lines were put through a filter to give it the electronic drone. Also, for what it's worth, his voice for Darkseid is essentially the same as the voice for Dr. Claw on Inspector Gadget. And if I remember right, I want to say it was also the same for Silas Greenback and Danger Mouse, but I don't know if that was Frank Welker or not. How odds are it was? The guy has like 5,000 credits on IMDb. Calabac, Desaad, Frank Welker stole my voice. So. <laughs> you got to give the people what they want. Exactly. Word from Earth 2 Chris. He says, you guys should totally cover The Fear in the next Superpowers episode. It's such a standout episode written by Alan Burnett, who would go on to produce and write Batman the Animated Series. West does a great job on that one. Uh, Chris, I don't know if it's going to be the next one or not. I'm not sure in the order, but yeah, we're definitely going to cover The Fear. It is so good. Yeah, yeah, we're going in order, so we'll get to it eventually if it's not the next one. Rob keeps saying that, but he hasn't checked with me. Uh, and then he goes on to say, and Shag, I tend to think of the Firestorm classic segments as Pixar movies now. You can always count on an appearance by John Ratzenberger. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, my Cliff Clavin, Cliff Carmichael sickness. Uh, regarding the um, post-serials contest bumper that we had in the middle of the show, he says, I entered that contest. I actually had won a prize in the earlier scratch-off contest, a special Super Friends comic and some stickers, as I recall, and did receive some puffy stickers from entering this one. I first encountered the 60s Filmation tunes on the Super Powers VHS tapes in 1984. I was constantly renting them from the local video store. Despite being a bigger fan of Batman and Superman, I really enjoyed the Aquaman show because it gave him a chance to shine, where Supes and Bats have had plenty of shows to do that on. This is probably why I called my son Tadpole when he was little. Uh, great, always, great show as always, guys. Can't wait for another one of these. Thank you, Chris. Before we get off this and before we move on to anybody else, I'm just going to mention this about Chris. I am going – he does a great show with his wife called the Supermates Podcast, which is a whole lot of fun. And I am going to be guesting on that. By the time you hear it, I will have recorded my guest appearance on the show, which is going to be very awkward. It's going to be two guys and a girl, so it's like a devil's podcast. But I'm going to be guesting on the show. And um, he sent me his preparatory notes for the episode. He does more preparation for one episode of Supermates than we have done for 89 episodes of the Fire Water Podcast. <laughs> I am intimidated by how many notes this thing has. I mean, it is stunning. So, uh, how funny. Good, and he's on episode six of the podcast. So That's uh, impressive. And that is deeply, deeply impressive and a little scary. So, but again, by the time you hear this, I'll have already recorded it. But as Shag and I are talking right now, it, it's in my future, and I'm, I'm, really, I'm really intimidated. Him and Michael Bailey can form a support group so yeah. um, for podcast preparers. Um, so he calls me to task. He says, so you're going to tell us about this page with Doreen Day and apparently barely approved Comics Code Authority uh, <laughs> outfits but not show us? Don't you guys have a Tumblr or something? I seem to recall you mentioning it every freaking show. <laughs> Don't tease us, fellas. It, it ain't right. Now. To be fair, he's absolutely right. I talked a lot about Doreen Day and the negligee, and I forgot to put it on Tumblr. But I do have a question for you guys. Other than the Who's Who episodes, is the Tumblr even worth it? Because it doesn't – outside of the Who's Who episodes, the Tumblr doesn't really get a lot of attention. And if we – you know, if it's not worth the effort, then I'll just throw the covers up there and that will be it. But if you guys, you know, legitimately go out to the Tumblr looking for stuff from from the stories, we'll keep it going. Let us know. So I would appreciate the feedback. So, uh, And he gave us a suggestion for our backup strips to call, uh, how about Back That Cast Up? 
<laughs> I think that's from a song. Uh, then Tim Wallace wrote us, uh, who runs the Blue Beetle blog. He said, as for Jamie Reyes, or Jaime Reyes, as the resident Blue Beetle guy, all I can say is that after his book was canceled, he moved to the short-lived Threshold and has been MIA since that book ended, unless you count his appearances in DC Universe versus Masters of the Universe. That's a shame. I like Jaime. He's a good character, so... But that was when we were talking about how characters, when their book gets canceled, tend to disappear, and how Firestorm hasn't. Uh, we got more stuff from WR Blue Frank regarding the uh, our commentary episode for the uh, filmation. He says an entire hour of adventure, outrageous. The DC filmation shows ran in the afternoon daily on a local UHF channel, so I was quite a bit more familiar with Aquaman than the once a week Saturday morning Galactic Guardians. Plus, I was never a morning person. These reruns also fed my grossly disproportionate perception of the Adam's relative status in the superhero pantheon. Manta's ship is rad. Saving Mira and leaving Robin of the sea to fend for himself shows Aquaman has the right priorities. I feel bad for the whale, which is clearly in pain. Of all the diminishing Aqua terms, Aquaman nicknames Aqualad no chum. The Finny friends do an awful lot of Aquaman's work for him. The aquatic Aryan is a friggin' slave master. Manta's <laughs> blades are rad, and he worked them well. At one point, they used a modified version of Adam's theme song as filler music. Manta's modified costume is less than rad. <laughs> He's really committed to this rad thing. And his henchmen are goony, plus they reworked that same shot of their entering, exiting the ship three times inside seven minutes. Oh, yeah. Dictating, condescending to adolescents, African-American, African-Aquarians, lesser sea forms, and now women. Aquaman is clearly the most entitled, whitest, blondest man in all of the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Absolutely perfect, Frank. You summed that up perfectly. <laughs> Uh, he wrote, uh, talking about Dan Jurgens' interview, he said, it's great to hear from Jurgens here again, and the Bloodwind talk was an added bonus. By the way, folks, that Bloodwind question was specifically for Frank. I wrote Frank and said, Frank, I need a question about Bloodwind for Dan. I want to ask Dan a Bloodwind question. What should I ask him? And Frank's response was basically said, you should just say, what was that about? <laughs> Which is kind of what I did. Anyway, he says, one of these days I'd love to hear about the uh, character's creative origins and a more el elaboration on Jurgen's intentions. But quite frankly, I think we already took up far more airtime than I could justify from the Firestorm Aquaman audience. It's worth noting that in Jurgen's famous funeral procession poster, talking about Superman's funeral, Aquaman was one of the six pallbearers. Yes, he was. With, with that little atom hole adding weight to it. Robin was the only non-JLA founder holding a rail, while Marsh Manhunter merely looked on and Firestorm was off somewhere drinking the pain away. It's funny to hear Jurgen say that he should have left the JLA sooner, since his last extended arc, called Destiny's Hand, was far and away his most warmly remembered by fans, turning up routinely in lists of best Justice League stories ever, and a harbinger of the Justice Lords in the animated series. You make a really good point, Frank. I forgot that Destiny's Hand was at the end of his run. For some reason, I was thinking it was towards the beginning of his run. Destiny's Hand was great. Really good stuff. And, uh, yeah, if Dan had left earlier, we wouldn't have that great story. Hmm. Mm -hmm. He also gave us a couple of suggestions for the backup tales. Uh, Turbine Tales, Tritium Tales, and Rad Brooks. I don't get any of those. Yeah, we're not doing those. <laughs> <laughs> we got we heard from David Jeffries uh, about the Galactic Guardians episode. He said Shag wanted to know why. Oh, and this is the, also the filmation Aquaman. Shag wanted to know why there were surface dwellers at the power plant. The answer is there wasn't. The makers of this cartoon decided for some reason to make all Atlanteans air breathers, except for Aquaman, Aqualad, and Mera. They even changed the comic to match the cartoon. To find out how and why they became air breathers, read Aquaman number 35 from 1967. I don't know if they ever explain how they became water breathers again. 
How bizarre. I should have known that. I'm ashamed. I have no memory of that at all. I've got to go back and read that one. Crazy. Then we heard from uh, Little Russell Burbage from Baxter Beach, Florida. He said, I guess I have to be in the more minority, but I hated this month's issue of Firestorm. Now, before you get all Doreen Day on me, hear me out. There's the main villain there on the cover looking incredibly masculine, and then there's a flashback of Hyena on page 9 and 10 also looking very masculine. But this Hyena is supposedly Summer Day. She's a girl, fellas. I mean, come on. The character's buck naked, right? It's not a suit, right? I gotta say, Al Milgram was the only artist who drew Hyena the right way. Um, so, I have to say, uh, when you read, when we get through the next couple issues, it might make a little more sense for you, Russell. Just saying. Uh, without saying too much more. And then he goes on to say, by the way, is it just me, or does the Professor Stein seem to recall his adventures as Firestorm now? On page 7, he clearly thinks it's affecting our reactions as Firestorm. Um, how do you know, Professor? Uh, yeah, so the answer is yes. Professor Stein slowly begins to remember the adventures. There's no big turning point where he can remember adventures, but it started actually in those backup stories where he could start to remember stuff. So, And I like how all of uh, Russell's comments end with a, a hyena. So, that's pretty cool. And he, uh, he goes on to say he did like the sub, the backups, and he has them in the trade paperback, and he was actually doing something I was doing, which was flipping back and forth between the original Firestorm issue and the flashbacks that Perez did. It's kind of neat to see those back and forth together. And for the backup stories, he suggested We've Got Your Back or The Back of the Podcast. Okay. Uh, an email from Robert Gross, a.k.a. Martin Stein Returns. Uh, he commented on um, my story about Neil Gaiman writing that nice note about uh, my book. And uh, I'm not going to read the whole story, but he talks about a composer named Samuel Adler. And he says, I'm not trying to run up Rob or anything. I'm just saying that Adler's story put me in uh, – Rob's story put me in mind of my own just because of the general theme of someone really famous being there and being a mensch on a bad day. My bad day was really terrible. I found out from a payphone on the streets of Paris from my brother that my mother had died of a heart attack at the age of 58. I was devastated, of course. But later that day, Samuel Adler himself stayed with me in my dorm for several hours. Adler is an older man, a reformed but devout Jew, who was in rabbinical in nature. He really got me through it. He told me that it's always sad to lose a parent, but this was all part of the circle of life, that we were born meant to bury our parents. Life would go on for me, and I would get through it. And he was right. I miss my mother to this day, but in the broader scheme of things, he was absolutely right. If all is right in the world, I will live on to have my son bury me, and the circle of life will go on. So in part, to honor Samuel Adler, we named our first son Samuel. Many years later, really about a year ago, I wrote to Adler again, reminded him who I was, reminded him of that day, and sent him a recent, a recent example of my music theory work, since I had made the transition from composition to music theory. I asked Adler if I could have his blessing to write a book about his music, analyzing it from a theoretical perspective. Now, to be perfectly honest, I am not anywhere near the stature of someone in the music theory world that should be doing this project. Adler deserves to be done up by someone who has been tenured for 30 years at a major conservatory or university in the theory department. But what do you know? He said yes anyway, and he sent me about 30 CDs of his recordings in a huge box. Bringing this full circle, you might have noticed I sometimes mention on Facebook that I'm listening to the Fire and Water podcast while working on, quote, an Adler graph, unquote. This is the project I'm talking about. Sometimes there is a lot of copy work involved, turning chicken scratch notes into legible music. That's why I'm off, that's what, that's what I'm often doing while listening to the Fire and Water podcast. I'm transcribing my chicken scratch notations into legible music with nice pens and a straight edge while listening to the Fire and Water podcast. That's amazing. That's an. I mean, you, wow. the, I, I only read a portion of the the email, but that's that's an amazing story, Robert. Um, 
that is, I, I can't imagine what that would be like to actually have that much of a, that close of a relationship with, with one of your heroes. That's just startling. That's really cool. Wow. Yeah. Um, I'm going to jump into the more geekish stuff there. So it's kind of hard to follow that, but th- these comments also come from Robert. Robert's a big Firestorm fan, and he often has a better memory for these things than I do. So I was questioning whether Firestorm should have super strength, and he reminded me that in Firestorm number 35, he lifts up an iceberg over his head that Killer Frost has dumped on him. Now, now, Professor Stein had to sort of push Ronnie to do it, but the iceberg had to weigh a couple of tons, so that is a demonstration of Firestorm strength. And then we talked about, did Firestorm ever get injured and then split apart, and if he did, was he okay? And he pointed out that there was an issue in the blank slate area where the Zuggernaut, yes, the Zuggernaut, <laughs> um, viciously slashed Firestorm on the side, and he was bleeding. And when they split apart, both Ronnie and Mikhail were both bleeding on the side. So, worth noting that that did carry over. And he had a suggestion for the backup titles to be called The Backside. Okay. Heard from, heard from, uh, got a nice note from R. Duncan, um, just saying that, uh, he's happy about the fact that Firestorm and Aquaman are out there getting a lot of stuff. Heard from Zoom Yukinori, who, uh, wrote in, he, he works over at The Line is Drawn. He does stuff for, on comic book resources. He posted this great thing of Darkseid on spring break. And it's Darkseid being pulled behind Superman. It's hilarious. Um, if I remember, I'll put it out there in the Tumblr, and you guys can tell me whether it's worth going to look at. Anyway, uh, he said he had a couple suggestions for the backup strip. He called Let's Back Up a Bit and also uh, Call for Backups. And uh, he did come in, and the last thing I want to mention that he said was he said, so essentially Eddie Earhart, which is the guy who convinced Ronnie Raymond in Firestorm Number 1 to join and uh, attack the nuclear plant, which caused the creation of Firestorm. So, so essentially, Eddie Earhart is like Carradine, the burglar who murdered Ben Parker in Spider-Man, someone who played a major role in the hero's creation but only reappears in flashbacks. So as I do recall, Carradine returned in a Spider-Man comic in the 90s and promptly died. If Earhart does make a comeback, he should appear just as he did back in 1978, just so we would recognize him. I would love that with the giant you know, lamb chops and the, and the gold necklaces and the fro and everything. That would be awesome. And then final letter before we just get into some other stuff. Uh, Jeff R. said, have me introduced to – this is interesting. Uh, I haven't heard from many people that were buying Firestorm like back with the original series and stuff like that. So he says, having been introduced to Firestorm in DC Comics Presents and liking the character there and in Justice League, I came very close to picking up the Flash just for the backup but wound up passing on it at the time. I had given Flash a try for a few months, but there was that Rainbow Raider story followed up by the continuity-heavy Mr. Element Dr. Alchemy three-parter that managed to unsell me on the book. And I couldn't justify a whole 50 cents for eight pages of Nuclear Man. I was just neat to think of, you know, because everything I've read in Firestorm, I started in, you know, issues in the 30s. Uh, so talking to people that were buying the stuff back then, I just find that fascinating hearing their perspective on why they chose not to buy stuff or did buy stuff. That's pretty cool. Uh, we got a number of thank yous for people that have received their pins. Uh, thanks for that, guys. Uh, a lot of you have posted pictures of the pins out with, like, action figures and stuff like that. So uh, thank you very much for doing that, guys. Really appreciate that. Um, let's see. <clears throat> more pins, well, you know, more pins coming, by the way. More pins coming. Oh, absolutely. Now, I'm going to go ahead and start reading through some lists of names of people that, you know, helped, <laughs> promoted us on social medias and stuff. I would like to say, we, we did got one comment from somebody who said that they, they enjoy our show quite a bit, and they decided to place them up for their girlfriend. Unfortunately, it's one of these feedback episodes where we just name a bunch of names. And so the girlfriend was immediately turned off by the show, understandably. But I just wanted to say, in sort of a defense of this, I find this segment, while it may not be necessarily that interesting to hear us read a bunch of names, for some people, like, you know, let's, let's just go with Giancarlo Nurko. You know, he, he 
probably listens to the show every week and really enjoys it, and he supports it on Facebook, but he doesn't write in letters, but, you know, he still deserves to be recognized. He's still part of the nuclear subs. He's still part of our community, and I feel it's important because to those guys, hearing their name on the show matters, you know? So I, I think it's an important part of the show. So I can't believe I think the guy's girlfriend got that far in the show. <laughs> I think that's when he turned it on, actually, is what happened. Oh, I see. Okay. He was on that doesn't part, make so. any sense. How'd you even get that far? <laughs> I think after five minutes of listening to Rob, I'd have turned it off, so. All right, so uh, give our thanks to folks on Google+, Plus, Alexander Oseas, uh, Andre Edwards, Andy – man, I'm not the guy to read names. Uh, Bev Bakht, uh, he hosts the Flash podcast, uh, CW Flash podcast. Andy Capellish, Bill Bailey, Brian Marinu, Bubblegum Pink, Carlos Almilio, Chris Allen Grell, Cody Allen, comic book and movie reviews, Dale Russell, Eric DeFratis, Evan Ben, Gene Hendricks, Johnny Johnson, Juan Manuel Payton, Carl Brusades, Kichi Baker, Kevin Culp, Leon Long, Luke Dobb, Luke Giaconetti, Manuel Vergara, Martin Gray, Max Romero, Michael Wagner, Oscar Olede, Patrick Moe, Paul Bowler, Peyton McMullen Jr., Rasheen Washington, Robert Finley, Rory Williams, the Crimson Scarf, the Gentleman Scholar, the Hamster, I'm sorry, not Hamster, the Hammer Strikes. Sorry about that, Gene. That would be an awesome show, the Hamster Strikes. <laughs> Tim Wallace, Vance Highstand, and Vaju Jagannath, who's, uh, I think, a villain on Doctor Who. Uh, Gene said, sorry for giving you yet another unpronounceable word to say, Shag. I've always pronounced Mjolnir as Mjolnir, so I guess I'm, that's how I will try and say it in the future. Then, uh, tell you what, Rob, do you want to do... I'll do the tumblers. I'll do the tumblers. No, you do... Oh, yes. come, come on. There's <laughs> nobody there. I'm doing it. Aquaman is cool. Blitzy, Dob Creative, Daredevil Podcast, High Rock. Kuro Gauche, Mr. Perturbed, Mr. Milmot Tumbles, Rebus02, Shadowwolf1, Stoned Gorgon, The Unbent, Suji Tunes, Tyrant O'Tooth, Zegas. All right, I will do uh, Instagram. You can have Facebook, sir, and then I'll do Twitter. All right. Here we go. Strap Instagram. In. What's that? Strap in. <laughs> Instagram is crazy. You guys' names are nuts out there. A Healy 19, Aaron J, Andrew Durso. Andrew Liss, Andrew Oman, Bill, Bailey Ewing, BCX Radio, Ben Caddy, Bobby Pickles, I love that name, Bradley Null, Buck Rowlett, Buddy Sc- Scalera, CM Sanchez, Calum Nauer. Now, Calum supports us on a lot of social media. I need you to send a pronunciation to you because I am messing up your name so bad. Uh, Carson, uh, who goes by CVZ3347, Chris uh, Nugan, Christian Lake Akfele, Cody over Comic Binding, Comic Cartoons United, Comic Dudes, Connor Laddie, CW Flash, Dallas Campos, Daring Dare, David McNeil, DC Dill, Diddy Goo, uh, Dr. Nevermore, Don and Ron Williams, E. Meta the Astrophysist, <laughs> Epic Comic Pictures, Esteban Rodriguez, Fabrici Thanor Lewis, FGJKLQ86, uh, I think that was a uh, stormtrooper. Flash series: Heisenberg, Jesus, Horde World, Horcasis, Jason Miller, J.D. McLean, Jeremy, Jimmy Aranis, Joe Castellas, John Michael Hurl- Hurlf. Poor, man, I, these poor guys. They must be like Shag. You suck. Jose Miguel, Jose R- Rivera, Josh Davis, Josh Smith, Justin Williams, Cake and Cade Three, Keechy Baker, Keith Samra, Latin Negro. Lazaro Hildago, Lucas Zork, Lucien Desar, Luke Dobb, Max Romero, Mike Herman, Mr. Toy Guy, Nerd Nook, Nerd United, Faco Farella, Pete's Basement, Powers on Me, 
Robert Penn, Ryan DC, 2014, Spoculent, The Joe, The Riddle Factory, The Robot Lab, The Superheroes Corner, Thomas Douglas, Todd, Tom Davis, Travis Fowler, Trey F., Useless Dialogue Podcast, and Zimmer One. Facebook, Dan Jurgens, of course. Thank you, sir. Aaron Bias, Aaron Middleton, Albert Miranda, Andy Beck, Beck, Beckbacht. Uh-huh. It's hard, isn't it? That's <laughs> the Capellish. CW Flash guy. <laughs> Andy Cavellish, Arthur Cazeta, Kane Door, Captain America and his Army of Heroes, Carlos Guimaras, Guimaras, I think, Carlos Muka, Chad Bokelman, Chris Franklin, Christopher Richard Warden, Christopher Pedraza, Corey Hodgden, Corey Drew, my pal, Comics Cosmic Cat, Daniel Sonical Adams, David Gutierrez, DC Comics, the Justice League Facebook page, Derek Crab, Dolso Flores, uh, Martinez, Doug Smith, first from the N- Nuclear Man Facebook page. There you go. Gaston, Gabriel Chiesa, Gene Hendricks, Jericho Nurko, Gokul Nath, Great Caesars Post, Hector Negrete, Jared Tay, JC Barrow, aka Retcon, Jeffrey Brown, Joel Riviora, Riviora Jose Rivera, Keith J. Baker, Kevin Culp, Kyle Benning, Kyle Henry, Little Russell Burbage, Luke Dobb, Manjit Dajal, Marcos Araneda, Marvel DC Comic Brawl, Matt Hill, Maybe I'll Be Back, Michael Bailey, Michael Wagner, Michael Angel, Galeana Ramirez, Mike Fedick, uh, Moise Gammon Dupont, uh, uh, Oscar Olede, whatever, Randy Meyer, Riddle of the Riddle Factor, Robert Gross, Rod Pruitt, Roger Pree, Roy Cleary, Roy Cleary again, Ronnie Ling, Ryan Wing, Sean Curie, Sean Brock, Chester Maya, Speed Force, The Flash Podcast, The Hamster Strikes, Tim Wallace, <laughs> Wagner Alviera, Willem Boyd, and Zeb Oswalt. Take a breath. Uh, our buddy Kyle Benning, uh, he said the fire and water community is the best out there. He got this mystery in space issue along with a nice personal note on Super Friends letterhead from Russell Burbage. How awesome is that? Because of this show, these guys hooked up and we're swapping comics. That's awesome. We heard from, um, man, this Mosey Gemin Dupont. I am so sorry. Moise. Really, I Moise. I, okay, I'm he so says sorry. It right there, though. Oh, he does say it right. Yeah, okay, Moise. 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 Okay. Sounds like soy cheese. How funny. Okay. Um, he helped us with our French, but then also came, gave us some suggestions for the backup stories. He said, calling all backups and recalling all backups. That's clever. Heard from uh, Sean Corey. He said, hey, Shag, I was wondering if you and Rob could do me a favor. On the next episode of Fire and Water, would you plug a new New Warriors podcast that just came out? It's called Crash Pod. And so, folks, look out there for Crash Pod, new, new Warriors podcast. <laughs> you want to read the Justin Clark thing? Uh, yeah, he says, uh, you're not supposed to come back from the dead unless you're Hal Jordan, Barry Allen, Clark Kent, Blue Devil, Aquaman, Merchant Men, Under the Hawks, Blue Devil, and Firestorm. Other than that, Rob is right. You're not supposed to come back from the dead. <laughs> Uncle Ben. Uncle Ben's still dead, Uncle right? Ben kept in Marvel. Still dead. Yep. Uh, Twitter. All right, strap in. Here we go. Heard from some uh, professionals in the world. Uh, heard from Dan Jurgens, Jerry Conway, Sean Galloway, and Tom Zoller. Thank you for that, guys. Appreciate that. And that laugh, I think, was for Tom's. That was that fair to say. Mm-mm. You're so mean. No, You're no, so no it mean. wasn't. It wasn't. I just realized how long this list is. Oh, okay. Because uh, I heard go, I'm going to go see a movie and come back. Heard Tom's putting a hit out on you. I'm just saying. Anyway, uh, Alan Middleton. I tried Adrock. that before. I'm still here. And, and <laughs> Andrew, Andrew Lorenz, man, Andy Be boxed it. I mean, you are. I really appreciate your support. I just don't know how to say your name, man. Be-bocked. I'm so sorry. I'm going to say it's Bebacked. Again, check out his Flash podcast. It's about the show, the new show they're launching. Nice guy. Ange, Aquaman Talk, Army of Skanks. I love that. Bat Podcast, Bazinga Cow, Bill Bailey, Bill Bear, Bob, 
Brad Haga, Bradley Lever, Brian Washington, Buck Rowlett, Byron Lee, Callum Noer, uh, Carl Stark, Carlos Rodriguez, Cavana Rose, C. Drizzle, Car Charlie Niemeyer, Charlton Hero, Chris Ricketts II, Christopher at Alias Ego, Comic Fangirl SPN, Comic Fanatic Code, Comic Relief Podcast, Conway Callel, Corey Hodgden, Corey at Nomad Tad, Corey Streeter, Count Druncula, Dark Knight Gloves, Dave Hearn, David Golding, David Gutierrez, Derek Scott, Der Detroit Thor, I love that, Diablo Frank, Django Moore, Doctor 13 is the Beast, uh, Dustin Stouffer, Eric Eel Perrin, East End Zone, Eddie G, Eric Shea, Fax Machine, Get Ringo, Greg Barr, Hector Negrete, J. David Weeder, J. Nic Nicola, Nicola, really? <laughs> Nicolisi? I can't say. I know that. I talk with a guy all the time. I can't say his name. James Gerritin, Jeremiah Parker, Jim Leia 66, Jim, Jimmy McGlinty, Joe Slab, John Draper 66, Carl Bolter, Keechee Baker, Kevin Culp, King Shark, Court Industries, La Cueva Del Nerd, Leo Cohen, Less Than 1337, Light Work, Lisa Will, Lauren Skinskis Art, Lucien Dessar, Luke Dobb, Mandy Broughton, Marius Goni, Martin Gray, Marty Light, Max Romero, Michael Morris, Michael Wagner, Mike Hood, Frank Fran 29, Mike McLarty, Mike Swabby, Nathan Tiberius, Negative Steve, Nevin Davgun, O. Rosk o. Rodriguez Mangi, Oscar Olede, I'm sorry, Olelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelel
<laughs> of, of a sort. It's of hilarious. A sort, of a sort. I put it on Facebook the other night. Some of you may have seen it. Uh, I will put this on the Tumblr, so we'll see if you guys, you know, actually visit the Tumblr. There you go. And the final one is to Corey Hodgson's Maybe I'll Be Back podcast. The episode uh, featured a guest, a fellow nuclear sub, Andy Capellish, and they really, uh, really said waxed our car for quite a long time. So uh, that was really very much appreciated. And it's a fun show because I was on that show as well. It's a, it's a great little angle for a podcast, and uh, Corey does a good job with it. So he gets a STEAM award as well. Well, they spent a lot of time talking about folks on the nuclear subs, actually. Yes. So, like, it, calling out specific nuclear subs and talking about them. Yep. So it's a lot of fun. Yep. So, and uh, that's it. Maybe I'll be back. Podbean.com. Yep. So, folks, with that, whew, wow. What a list of amazing support. Guys, this document of uh, feedback is 28 pages long. You guys are absolutely unbelievable. I say it all the time. You are the single best podcast listening community in the cosmos, and I can't thank you enough, and I really appreciate your your, your nerdy collaboration, and you really are, uh, this this really is our comic chatting group, so thank you so much, folks. Yep. Uh, not that any of you need it, but our email address is firewaterpodcast.comcast.net, <laughs> and the Tumblr is fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. Yep. Also, you can leave comments on uh, the firestormfan.com or aquamanshrine.net. You can leave comments for the show there. We'll find them, and they'll find their way into one of these feedback episodes. Or you can find us on the social medias. Aquaman Shrine can be found over on Facebook and Twitter. Firestorm Fan can be on Facebook, can be found on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Google+, and That's Tumblr. Oh, Tumblr, yeah. I couldn't remember. I was like, I was blanking. It was five. So, anyway. Woo, it's late at night. we got to go, folks. Yeah. Uh, normally I don't mention what the stinger is going to be. I just like it being a kind of a non sequitur and it's going to remain sort of a non sequitur, but, uh, I will tell you that the stinger is going to be my hero, Bob Dylan talking about Batman. <laughs> something you never thought you'd hear. You're going to, that's what you're, if, if everybody wants to know what, what this is, what the clip is from, I will explain it in the next episode, but I'll just, in, just in case, you know, cause nobody knows his, his voice by itself. He's just <laughs> talking. Uh, I, assume, I assume it's just a whole bunch of, oh, Batman, turn the dark night. That is a is brilliant Bob Dylan impression. You really like should that? go to the Tonight Show. Uh, anyway, yes, this is Bob Dylan talking about Batman following the show. It's a, it's a fun little clip, so enjoy. Awesome. Fan the flame and ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land and air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah! guy that was home in the night was Batman. He was introduced in May of 1939 in Detective Comics number 27 by Bob Kane. I always loved Batman. The way I looked at it, he had to come from another planet to be Superman, but I could be Batman, and you know I tried. Batman.